presents Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Sicario. And I'm Soldado. And here we are bringing you a very special episode... It's kind of breaking our schedule. We felt that this just needed to get out there. We wanted you to hear it while it's fresh in everybody's minds. This week on, or I guess this time on Cinemodities, we are yeah. discussing Sicario, Day of the Soldado. That's it, right? That's actually, well, in America, that's what it's called. I think it's just Soldado in other parts of the world. Not yeah. even Sicario 2. It's just Sicario with a subtitle. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you excited, Zach? I'm excited. Are you in full soldado mode today? I was born in soldado mode. Okay, good. I am in soldado mode as well. This is going to be great. So Zach and I saw these, saw this opening day. Uh, I think we both saw it in kind of midday, right? I saw it at 11.35 a.m. on that Friday. When did you see it, Zach? I saw it at 12.40, so I saw it, what, maybe like an hour before you? Yeah, yeah, you were there just a, a little before me. Look at that. Well, uh, I guess, should we start with general thoughts? Should we, before we get into spoilers or anything like that, what do we think? Do we want to just give a, because we did our whole first Sicario episode, so what yes. do we think about Day of the Soldado? Well, at least one thing we can point out that we had a question about the first film. We do get a pronunciation of the title. It yes. is Sicario. It is. Now, I'm a little hesitant to say that that means the first movie should be called Sicario, who are we to say that that isn't Sicario, right? <laughs> until, we get, until we get Emily Blunt saying that. Yeah, yeah, we need Emily Blunt to uh, weigh in and, and be the tiebreaker here. Uh, but yes, so we had our first episode. Zach, did you like it? What would you think? Um, as I was watching it, like I said, I think I made it known in our episode that the trailers, like, I'm like, this just looks dumb. Uh, the premise looked dumb. It's like, how do you make a sequel? To like, the first one's kind of like, I don't want to say a happy accident. But mm -hmm. it's like, how, how do you, like, again, it's like, how do you make a sequel from there? And as I was watching it, I didn't, I, the movie takes a different direction than how I was expecting. It's a very different film than the first one. Yes. It's, it's, it's still living in that same world, but it's, it's its own kind of, oh God, it, this is so freaking archaic. This is kind of the Empire Strikes Back to, to the Star Wars of the first Sicario. <laughs> it's a very darker film. Things happen. Um, all, all of our, well, only, well, two of our, well, the, I got a boner guy is back, so we will include him, but he doesn't have much to do in this. Getting a boner. Yeah, yeah. I was very excited when I saw him, like, oh, it's the I got a boner guy is back. <laughs> like, I felt relieved. Getting a boner. And, uh, but no, like, I, um, I'd have, again, I really don't know, I'm kind of right down the middle with this. The first Sicario didn't really, it took two years for the first film to really get, kind of get into my head. Mm -hmm. And with this one, I, it's, I would imagine it's very similar to how I felt the first one I saw. I'm like, kind of indifferent. It's like, I know what they're going for, but I don't particularly like it. Maybe, again, okay. I, 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 when it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, I will obviously rewatch it then. Yes. But I was uh, very middle of the road for this. Definition of kind of like, it's well made, but it's not exactly my favorite cup of tea. Okay, right on, right on. Well, uh... I, uh, I'm going to chime in with my opinion now. <laughs> I actually really liked it. When I saw it, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I was like, oh, that was good. That had some, 
some good scenes, good visuals. You know, I, I agree with what Zach said. It's it's a different movie from the first one, but in that same world, I think some of the information that you know from the first does kind of help you along in this one, but it's not completely necessary. In the days since I've seen it, I've come to kind of realize my understanding or realize my appreciation of this movie more because I remembered in our first episode on Sicario, I, I commented that it was a very interesting stance for a movie to take where they had Emily Blunt b- become a member of this team and she just kind of didn't know what was going on and she was somewhat slowing people down and we got to learn things with her. And I remember saying that was an interesting stance to take, not just taking, here's our team of you know, crack specialists, give them a mission, shit goes wrong, how does that play out? And I was like, that was pretty interesting for the first Sicario. That's exactly what we got in this one, I think. We got the specialists. We got the team of everybody knowing what they were doing, going on a mission. And it was kind of everything I could have wanted, I think, in a Sicario sequel. Oh, that rolls off the tongue nicely. Sicario sequel. Sicario sequel. I will well, say it dipped at parts for me, absolutely. We'll get into that when we talk about some scenes. There were some parts where I thought it slowed down, the pacing was a little strange. Uh, but, you know, it, it really, it, it was able to keep me going. Uh, I can, I, I'm gonna, I, can, I, I like the first one a lot more. One of the things I like about the first one, I liked, again, this is why the first one I think clicked so well. You do have Emily Blunt, who's this very much by the numbers, everything's black and white. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, black or white. And you have Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro come in. You have no idea who really Benicio del Toro is throughout the entire film. He's just kind of like this this walking just again. He's he's again the a human Terminator, so to speak. Again, yeah, that's also cliche. But he's just kind of like <laughs> unstoppable force. You get obviously. I know Emily Blunt has lines of dialogue saying, "Was he CIA?" And it's very again very ambiguous. And it's kind of laid out in the climax of that film of what he really is. Where he's just a, a vengeful father and husband. Mm-hmm. And one thing as I was watching this film, and I guess uh, spoilers for the first Sicario, was that like <laughs> after how that movie ends and what he does, as I was watching this, I'm like, it's like when he decides, I don't know if it's the spoiler, um, but when Benicio, we'll get into it later on, but when Benicio de Toro makes a very specific choice, I'm like, I think the movie lost me at that point. Okay. I, I, I was on the fence to begin with because I really like the f- idea of the first film being you have Josh Brolin, who's this like definition of an arrogant sob mm-hmm. uh, who, who who rules the world he he roams in. Yeah, he is, the, he is the lion of that jungle. Like, will there be things that come across his path that will obstruct him? Yes, but they're temporary. And Benicio del Toro is just Terminator lion who's just going to go through it. Nothing can stop him. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that's one of the elements I love because like in the first film like not everything goes right for the two of them but really there is absolutely no impediments like again nothing stops like everything's planned out they get all the information they need and it's a very it's deliberately your 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 entry point is Emily Blunt where this movie really does not have that this movie kind of I don't want to say it assumes you know the events of the prior film um, it definitely, I, I, I wouldn't say it assumes it I think it. It at parts relies on it for some setup, but you know, I don't see, know. I, I'm I'm tainted. You know, that's that's the problem with this is that we both saw the first one, we both talked about it, we know about it, and so it, we don't have that opinion on coming into it blind. And so, yeah, it's it's really tough for me to say. I I, I would like, or I would like to think that some of this is accessible, but you know, who who knows? Maybe I think that just because of the conscious knowledge I have of the first one. I don't, I don't, I don't know though, because I do think I know this thing's probably going to make more money. I don't know, maybe not. Who knows? 
Um, it definitely had a better opening weekend than the first film did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I don't know, because if you look at this movie just by itself, it plays as a very generic, just U.S. military goes outside its bounds, it gets in trouble, and they have to run away, and everything blows up. Like it's it's a very like, as I, like, I, I even as I was watching it, I had to remind myself, oh wait, this is the same guy who wrote the first one, and it, <laughs> like it feels like a movie written by different people. Like I know it's a different director, but it's written by the same exact person, Taylor Sheridan, mm-hmm. who's done a, he's done a bunch of things right now, or he's doing a bunch of things. And like, I guess there's just certain decisions in the film with the characters, like even how we're introduced to Josh Brolin's character in this. Like, obviously, in the first film, we're introduced to him sitting like in a, in a conference room with his sandals and shorts. Yeah, and he's clean shaven, but again, kind of not long hair, but just long enough hair, and it's slicked back. In this, we see him. He again, he has a, like a ragged beard, mm-hmm. and he's doing the generic thing where he's threatening somebody's family. I'm going to drop a drone on your family. And it's like, oh yeah. God, we again, we've seen this before. Like, I, again, I, again, it's like whatever. Like in, going back to again the first Sicario, where again Rob loves it, where we have a uh, um, Benicio del Toro so- shoves his junk in the guy's face, and Josh Brolin's like, "Remember, no hablo inglés." Yeah, and like that, like that's memorable. Like as I was thinking about, like one of the things with movies, like if a movie gets inside my head and I think about it. Like, I, I forgot this movie within, like, half an hour. Like, especially we joked about Jurassic World and how awful mm-hmm. that is. Like, I'll never forget Jurassic World and just how zany stupid it is. <laughs> but, like, this, though, like, I, I, for, I, I forgot. Like, I remember it, though, but, like, it's not a memorable movie. Like, there's no trip. There's no Extraction Jackson through Juarez. Like, no, it's it's like they borrow somebody. They don't even fully extract them. They borrow. <laughs> so what? It's like borrow. Oh, God, I can only think of Trevorrow. <laughs> Does that make sense? Borrow Trevorrow? I would love it if he, instead of directing the third Jurassic World, I'd love it if he directed the third Sicario film. <laughs> Can we get that? Like Rob says, who, oh, do we tweet, who do we tweet to in order to get yeah. that to happen? Oh, yeah. Well, you, wait, you remember you explained that Brad Bird and Tre- Trevorrow switcheroo or something? Yes. So you, they should do that. Uh, whoever's directing the third Sicario and Trevorrow should do a switcheroo for that and Jurassic they World. Yeah. Okay. Let's get let's get tweets going. Yeah. So we got we got to figure out who we got to tweet about this to get it to happen. Um, but like so, like again, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, there's nothing memorable in this movie. It's so vanilla. And the thing that can we get into spoilers now? Can we, can we drop the spoiler hammer? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get into spoilers. I think right, we got dropping. our we got our general thoughts out of the way. Let's let's put the pedal to the metal. All right. We're dropping the spoiler hammer. Um, when as soon as he decides not to kill the girl, I'm like, screw this movie. I'm like, he killed an entire family of people and did not give a crap. Now, all of a sudden, I don't want to, it's, it's like, I can't do that. Why the hell not? Again, he, I, I, one thing I was confused about was that like, they keep talking about Reyes. He wants to get Reyes. Mm-hmm. I thought he killed Reyes in the last movie. <laughs> it's like, it's like is what that, is I think, I think we should actually start there because I have that question as well. Um, pretty much the a big point of this movie, like Zach says, is that he's going after Reyes, and the person they kidnap is his daughter. Uh, and Reyes is the person who apparently killed Gillick's family, De- De- Del Toro's family. But you're right, Zach, I thought he got those people in the first movie, right? That's what I thought. I'm like, because like, they're like, because they make a comment like, oh, I forget, they lay out his backstory once, mm-hmm. I forget, somebody explains his backstory again. And that's where, like, every time like, you watch a sequel, they have to explain a backstory again. That's never a good, th- like, that's a warning sign. Like, if I'm watching a sequel to something, I'm like, uh-oh, 
you, 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 you tell you show the audience a backstory. You don't tell them. Like that's that's very inefficient storytelling. We have to expository dialogue. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A movie, a movie. This again for people who know the language of cinema. If a movie has to tell tell you expository dialogue or exposition through dialogue, um, that is a full stop to the movie's pacing. Full stop. Yeah. Even if it's only like two lines, full stop. Again, I think that's why uh, like movies like Inception have really kind of uh, fallen in, in regard to me because that movie's just constant exposition, like a like, full stop exposition. I was I was about to say that it happens so often in Inception. It just that is the pace of that movie. <laughs> yeah, just different exposition dumps throughout like, yeah. like a two and a half hour long runtime. <laughs> yeah, and then you know every once in a while you get the blah blah blah. So like so yeah like so you have that though and I'm like. I, I like Rob said. I, like, I thought he killed him. Like that's the whole climax of the movies that he goes to. Like this. Like again, the whole climax of Sicario, the first one, is Benicio del Toro like jumping through like hoop after hoop, getting like all these things to work out. And like both him and Josh Brolin are flawless. They jump through every hoop. They perform every trick, and they do it like to a T. They make it look so easy. And in this, it all falls apart. Like everything falls apart for no reason. It's like it's like they have a. Uh, um, the girl from Transformers Five, and they're like transporting her, and like, oh, we have an es- like much like the first Sicario, like we have an escort from the from the Mexican Federales, mm-hmm. and like, okay, and it's like, oh, they have us on a dirt road, and I think Josh Brolin's like, it's like us. Uh, he says some dialogue like, I hate dirt roads. Dirt like, of roads course you do because they make them nervous. Yeah, they make them nervous, and I'm like, again, okay, that's the other thing. Like the dialogue's hitting you over the head. It's like it's like of course it does. As soon as it went off road, and it's like why are they even? It's like why are they even bring her back to me? Like, what? It's like, like a lot of this movie. And again, like the first Sicario is intentionally disorienting because you mm-hmm. get you're supposed to be again Emily Blunt. You're supposed to be Emily Blunt. You're thrown into this world. The CIA is so efficient in what they're doing and just causing trouble that it's supposed to be a blur to you. Yes. And as you're watching this, I'm like, this is a blur, but I don't think it's intentional blur. It's incompetence blur. And, and again, like how we joked in our previous episode, again, they hired just some Italian guy off the street. Like, hey, do you want to direct? Like, I, th- I think the producer <laughs> just drove by and they yelled out of the window. It's like, hey, you. And the guy's like, Mamma Mia? And it's like, it's like, you want to direct a Sicario sequel? See, si, see. Si. And so he got into the limo and, and two, hour, two years later, here we are. Um... And I, got, and I guess this is the vibe I get from it. It's like, I, I didn't see anything in this movie that's like, I, pe- I know, pe- I guess this is kind of getting, it's not getting as good as reviews as the first one did, <laughs> but people are, people are praising it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's this weird thing. And we'll get into our theater experiences. I think, I think that's yes. something we both want to bring up. Oh yeah. But like, but like the audience that was like, I saw this with, it was such a, a weird group. Like, I guess again, I don't know about you how, but like I interpret the first Sicario is that it's not like an anti-military film, but like it's a very like what the government like it's it's the old like adage that I love saying like if you knew a fraction of what the government does you wouldn't yeah. sleep at night yeah and and yet like the audience that was in my theater was like the audience I never th- would think would appreciate the first movie so okay. okay like for the record like I've never seen so many camo and make America great again hats in one place ever <laughs> before in my life. <laughs> and and so like I, I know that's a thing now where I've seen certain reviews people like saying like oh this is a movie that like the right is going to like latch onto which mm-hmm. I don't I don't see that happening but at the same time I didn't think the first Sicario was a movie that 
conservative people would have latched on to. Yeah, yeah. Unless they really don't get what the, unless they're just interpreting it as U.S. government kills a bunch of Mexicans the movie. Like, maybe that's just people just taking it at face value without any sort of the, uh, the layers to it. But See, that's, I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, that that's something that we don't often remember, or, or you maybe not remember, bring up when we talk about some of this stuff, at least these movies that come out recently. The, the vast majority of the people who see this movie are not thinking about it the way we are, and they could possibly and most likely are getting some very different messages, I'm sure of. Um, with your theater-going experience of the people in the theater, I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm surprised. I wouldn't think that, you know, many conservatives would really, you know, love that first movie. But like you said, they could just be looking at it under a different lens. Yeah, I have a really interesting theater-going experience. Do you, do, you, do you want to, Before we get more into the plot, should we delve into our uh, theater experiences? Before, uh, yes, we should. Absolutely. All right. Because I think that frames how we saw the movie quite well when we actually get into the, some of the scenes that I want to talk about. But I do want to say that everything that Zach said about his perception of the, the story and the pacing and all his kind of big answer in there, um, I agree with for the most part. You know, I, I didn't think this was an intentionally disorienting movie. I thought that, you know, some of it, it had its issues, of course, with the pacing, like I said already. And as we'll get it, you know, I don't, we don't even need to get into it later. There's a kid in this movie. Of course I'm going to hate the scenes with the kid in the movie. Like, that's just a fact, and I did. But, you know, I felt that there was enough there. Action-wise, you know, vehicle-wise, I was just able to get in, strap my seatbelt on, and enjoy the ride. You know? I, I, was, I was into it. It, it. it succeeded in that respect for me. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. I agree with you. I don't think it's as, as finesse, uh, as finely done. It doesn't have as much finesse as that first one, but it... Like I said, it hit the right chord for me. It's exactly what I wanted from a Sicario sequel. Yeah, I, I, it's, I, it's my thing is that I don't think you can make a good sequel to the first film. I think that's just. I think the first film yeah, is a self-contained that's... entity. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I, uh, I like the first, like I've really come to appreciate it in the last few months. I just, it's, it's so perfect as a self-contained thing. Because uh, again, the whole point, part of the reason why that resonates with me, I love the idea of just having these military people that just are so perfect at what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're infallible. And this movie completely just says, oh, wait, what if they're not infallible? And yeah. like, well, you, you, you completely kind of pulled the heart out of why I like the first one. So, like, in a way, again, it's competently made. Like, like that's, I think that's something I should just point out. Like, I, it's not a bad movie. Oh, no. Not stretch, a, no. Uh, yeah, definitely but, not. Yeah. But considering that the first one's kind of like this, oh, God, like underrated gem. Mm hmm. And it's it's a it's a serious step down from there, in my opinion. Okay, okay. Um, I guess I guess you know, kind of. I'm I'm really trying to, like I said before, I don't know how much I actually can, but I, I for some reason I'm I'm really kind of trying to view these as two separate entities. Like, sure, same world, same characters, but I really see them as, as kind of more of a you know a anthology installment rather than a direct sequel or something and something like that. Uh, well, that's what it's supposed to be. But like, I think this would have worked better. I was thinking about that. And I think that would have worked better in anthology, or I don't want to call it anthology, um, but again, a sequel. And, but you don't, you do something different than the cartels. And yes, oh, like they should have went to Fiji. To they should have done the terrorists sinking Fiji, right? I'm trying to get DOD to let me look into this conspiracy to sink Fiji. Fiji, yeah. they Fiji alone terrorists. Yeah, exactly. 
That would have been well, great. That would have been a, yeah. They could have made the great mission based around that, and it would have gotten away from the cartels. Yeah, that, that's for the Colin Trevorrow third prequel film. That's the okay. third one's gonna be a prequel where we see what happens to Fiji. <laughs> but like that's why I thought because like, I know there's a couple like when the film starts off with you have like the terrorists blowing themselves up. And, like, you get that, and I'm like, oh, because I know it was going to be cartel nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. as I'm watching it, though, and I kind of knew what was going to happen, because, like, it's worth noting that, like, when we talked about, like, the plot synopsis for the on our first episode, that plot of Benicio Del Toro saving the girl really doesn't happen until halfway through the movie. Oh, yeah, that's that's a very, it's the secondary, that's the second half, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yet that's a synopsis of the film. So, like, it's, <laughs> it's funny, the synopsis of the film completely ignores the first half of the movie, which is really <laughs> weird when you think about it. And so, like, again, like, if you had, like, Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin, and this even, and I'm starting to think that maybe Taylor Sheridan, the writer, maybe even had that in mind. Because the whole thing, the first, like, the first, like, what, 20 minutes, again, the terrorist, um, sneaking across the border, um, Josh Brolin drops a drone on some, some African man's house in Jabuti. Well, yeah, I, I have a lot I want to say about the violence, the fast-paced violence that gets punched directly into us. I want to talk about that, but I think we should talk about who we saw this movie with before right, we get before to we get that. that. All right, before yes. we get to that. All right, I'll try, I'll try to be brief with my theater uh, uh, experience. Um, I got to the theater, I got like 40 minutes before it started, and there was three guys in there, and this is part of the Make America Great Again hats. And they were the, there uh, before you? Yeah, they are there before me. It's like wow. 40 minutes. And it's rare minutes. still, right? Because when we went to movie, yeah. you know, for the, for the audience, when Zach and I went to movie theaters, it was like always either we were the first ones or there was one random old man who was sleeping. Like, that was ever, that was it. It was like he was from another movie or something. And That's it's just what, like, so it's rare. Is it still rare for, for you yeah. not to be the first uh, one? Uh, I, again, I'm weird with movies. So I'm, I, I, like, and Rob knows a lot of our theater going experience. In our lead up to our Avengers 4, um, that might be the that might be the series before the Avengers four thing. If we ever get to it, it's gonna be not movie discussion, but just kind of explaining our theater going habits during high school. Um, um, so like no, like uh, it's weird because again, like just for people who don't know, again, Rob and I grew up in the same town. Rob, Rob, like moved around like fifteen times since then. I'm still stuck <laughs> in the hellhole known as Poughkeepsie, New York, and the theater. It's a yeah, like I know for like Jurassic World two, I was the first one in the theater. Um, I make it, I can rob those when it comes to like Star Wars, Avengers. I deliberately like, go out of my way to be the first one in the theater. Mm-hmm. With this, I again, I, I got the movie started at twelve forty. Got there like a, a, like twelve o'clock, and there was like three people. It was also one of the small theaters, which Rob knows is practically a dirty word in my household. <laughs> you, big theater or bust. But to be fair, this was again Jurassic World was playing on both big theaters, so oh, there course. was no yeah. Again, you're not so it was in one of the dinky theaters, which I hate. And I get there, and because I, I don't have my my seat, that's another thing I have to go into. My my seat in the big theater, how I've planned that, how I figured that out after like a decade. Uh, but again, I'll be saved for the show come April. <laughs> um, so again, I, I just find a seat, one that's like like gives me the best like in the center, which is weird because like the, the smaller theaters are all like weirdly off center and how the seating is. Mm-hmm. So like in order to get like a seat right in the middle of, like the of the screen, you have to sit like on the aisle. It's this really weird phenomenon. Yeah, that sounds that sounds incredibly strange. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Like this, I guess between like the fire exit and the entrance into the theater, it's just it's, it's this weird thing. It's like, it's like a weird, like almost like a Tetris um, design. <laughs> and so anyway, so I get in the theater. There's three guys there, and it's weird because like like two of the guys are like sitting one seat apart from each other, and they're talking to each other. And then like like the next guy's like three seats away, but they're all like in the same like aisle. 
and the two guys are like screaming like I use it's, it's like I'm a really like, I guess they're against former military guys and like I used to sit there something something socialized medicine so my buddy who lives in Canada twisted his ankle and he had to wait nine months for an MRI and then I got like that was the conversation I'm like okay. oh my god <laughs> and so like I'm sitting there in the theater. And I think Rob's going to uh, share this opinion of mine. Though, that there were more people there in my theater, at least the same amount of people there were on opening day of Jurassic World Two Dinosaur Boogaloo. Same amount of people, considering that like one was in the giant theater and this one's like in the dinky theater. Like that is a really like noticeable like amount of people in a small theater. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and so like that was like it was like a ton of people. And so, like, I'm sitting there, and like Rob also will probably say, I was the young. I, I lowered the average age of the theater probably by around forty years. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, you have that though, and like, it's like fine. People in the theater, like, whatever, as long as they're quiet. Then, like, like in old people, like, there's a lot of coughing and gagging. Like, <laughs> like, there's a lot of that. It's like again, this is like January. I'd be like flip, like flipping out. I'm like, don't get me sick, asshole. I like, just start lysoling everybody who coughs. <laughs> and and so and so like fine whatever and then like behind me like, like somebody was like somebody like a guy and his wife like sat like behind me and like i didn't notice that like, they walked up the stairs they sat behind me whatever and like, like like two minutes after they sat down i hear <laughs> and i'm like what the hell is this like <laughs> that sounded. I don't. I, I. I don't know if anyone in the audience remembers this, but I don't get to see what Zach does when we record. So, just got that noise through my headphones. <laughs> this is like Allagash abductions all over again. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So, okay. But now everybody knows how I feel because I'm sitting in a theater and I can't. I, I, I look behind me. I didn't. I didn't see anything. It was just a pr- guy and his wife sitting there. And I'm like, what on earth was that? I had no idea what it was. I, I mean, like, I was just like, at one point, it kept going on. Like, it went on for like, like this is like, again, I was, I was waiting for the movie to start for like 40 minutes. So like, I was sitting there for a while. Yeah. And so like, I hear this. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And it just keeps going for like 10 minutes. And I keep looking behind me. I, I have no idea. Where, there's only like two rows of seats behind me. I'm like, okay, and I, I just conclude that because also I'm not doing it justice because it was also uh, very inorganic. Okay. Like, I, I, I imagine like a much more, oh god, machine-like Darth Vader breathing. Like it sounded like a machine. Like okay, yeah, like, I was gonna, I was about to say like, was it somebody's respirator? Well, that's, and you mentioned that's, Darth Vader. <laughs> well, that's what it sounded like though. But like, like I was expecting, like, in all honesty, like if the person like walked up the stairs behind me had like an oxygen tank. I would have been like, oh, like, like okay, that's Wizzo. But the person, yeah. did, I, I, again, they just walked up. I'm like, I, and, and I actually had concluded because it went on. It started. Those people show up around 20 minutes before the movie started, and I'm not kidding. This movie literally had, I think, 25 minutes worth of previews. The okay. movie didn't start until 1:05, and because I always check my watch as soon as the previews end, mm-hmm. and so like, and like, it literally went on the 20 minutes while they were there. Or when they first sat down, all the way through the twenty-five minutes worth of previews, and it was about—I think it was right until uh, the scene in the film where the terrorists go into like the knockoff Kmart and they start blowing themselves up, like, okay. where it gets really quiet. That like I, I realized because I actually had figured I thought it was I thought it was because I've never been—I I don't like the small theaters. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just some of the machinery was just having a—I pro- thought the projector was having a problem. 
Yeah, I thought okay, maybe yeah. like maybe there was some sort of like maybe overheating. Pr- I know like it's not like an old time projector. They actually like like thread the film through it. Mm-hmm. But I thought like maybe there was a problem with the theater. Like, maybe the air it was a hot day. Maybe the air conditioner was having a, was sure. struggling. Yeah. And so like so at that point it just stopped. I figured oh maybe I know sometimes they do weird things with like like the uh, the projector that shows the preview. Sometimes there's like a different projector that they do for previews. And I thought they turned it off. And I'm like oh okay. And then like half an hour through the movie like and I hear. And it starts up again. I'm like, okay, clearly the guy behind me is having a breathing problem. Like, clearly. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then as I walked out of the theater, I saw this guy carrying, like, I, again, I don't even, I mean, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't know why I'm asking Rob this. I don't think he's an expert in this, though. <laughs> but this person was, like, carrying, like, imagine, like, a child sized briefcase. Okay. Like, not like, like, I'm not, like, okay, I'm trying to think on. <laughs> Child like, size briefcase. Like that's what I mean. It was yeah, tiny. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like it's like a sure. child sized briefcase. Like I, I know I've seen people with like uh, what they call it the um, oh, like a catheter bag. Like people, like people yeah. have a problem they have to carry around like a catheter bag, and, and they they make it like like a uh, what's the word? It doesn't draw attention to itself. Yes. But like like this thing was like tiny. Like it was like a almost like like a like a mini like like, like oh god I don't know my terms like 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 a, like a little mini like purse almost. Okay. Like okay. like smaller than a satchel. Like it was like it was like like a mini satchel almost. But it was like but it had like it was a briefcase. Okay. And like I had no idea what this person was. Again, it's like we'll get into that in a moment though. But that was the first <laughs> thing that was that was the weirdest thing that happened. And then like and like again and had tons of like and people and it was also it was really weird too like the movie had already started so it was like one ten one fifteen and some like giant just sack of just human being this huge like six hundred pound man literally sits right in the row in front of me and as he's like fidgeting oh. to get into his seat oh, to like he, as he has this giant like sack of popcorn I'm pretty sure he brought like a garbage bag full of popcorn <laughs> in and he brought like a. Oh my god! Like what? Like like a dehumidifier sized like container of like soda, and he's sitting there like as the like in this scene. And Rob's gonna know the scene as the ter- as like the woman and her child are trying to like walk out like the knockoff Kmart, mm-hmm. and the guy's like reciting his like Allah prayer. He's literally obstructing the entire scene during that. And I'm like, come on, guy. I have like I have like zombie Darth Vader behind me, and I have this like giant sack of flesh in his garbage bag full of popcorn. It's like, come on. It's like I wanna watch a movie. Like I spent like fifteen dollars. It's like that's not fair. Like I wanna watch the movie too. And it's like, and so maybe again, much like my experience with like Avengers, like this was nowhere near as bad as Infinity War. But, like, this is, like, as Rob knows, and I know this is, like, a tangent, I apologize, I'm going to let Rob talk in a second, but, like, I love movies, I think Rob, I love going to the movies, between this and Infinity War, I'm really starting to hate going to the movies, because, like, and I also have, pro- I, didn't, I didn't get to my problem with Jurassic World when I tried to buy my ticket for that, but that's a story for another day, I'll tell Rob that we're waiting online, when we record our seven-hour-long discussion in line for <laughs> Avengers 4, yeah. I'll not be part of the conversation, um, but like no, it's like I'm really starting to hate going to the movies because it's just I, I never could understand people were saying like oh I'm just gonna wait three months for like the digital rental or the Blu-ray to come out I'm like how can you do that you have to see it in the theater like after this I'm like it's a small theater people are are awful it's like screw this it's like I'm paying to see the movie if you can't yes. go see a movie without sounding like zombie Darth Vader. Then sorry, I, I feel bad that you can't breathe properly, though. But that does not give you the right to ruin my movie experience. If you can't sit there, appreciate, um, not or just, oh God, uh, what would you call it? Just 
beha- it's not behavior, but just like, for lack of a better word, behave the same way you're supposed to as everybody else does in a movie. I'm sorry about your physical ailment, though, but that does not give you a license oh. to ruin it yeah. for other people. I see what you're saying. Yeah, don't just don't be distracting. That's not fair. Again, I feel bad for you. Like whoever, again, you probably don't want your medical condition, though. Exactly. But, because, but like, yeah. if I had a broken leg or if I had Tourette's, I would not go to a movie theater. No matter how much I loved it, I would not. Ru- if I valued the movie-going experience, I would not ruin it for other people, despite how much I loved it. And that's just again, that's what I'm starting to hate about the movie-going experience. Again, zombie Darth Vader in the giant sack of flesh that had a garbage bag full of, of popcorn in a dehumidifier-sized like container of soda. Yeah, <laughs> dehumidifier-sized. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> It's a it's a child size soda soda because it's the size of a child. <laughs> well, uh, Punchburger just recently came out with a new 128 ounce option. Most people call it a gallon, but they call it the regular. Then there is a horrifying 512 ounce version that they call child size. How is this a child-sized soda? Well, it's roughly the size of a two-year-old child if the child were liquefied. It's a real bargain at $159. I'm sorry, Miss Pinewood, but why would anybody need this much soda? It's not my place to speak for the consumer, but everyone should buy it. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> no, okay, so, wow. That's, that sucks. That's exactly why I don't like the movie-going experience. Um, the one thing I think Zach did not have in, in his Sicario Soldado experience that I hate with a passion is when people kick my seat. Can't fucking stand that. And that like always happens to me when I go to movies. Um, babies as well. I think that's along the same vein. Like don't bring your baby to a movie theater. You know, don't be distracting. It's a, it's a certain atmosphere in a movie. And I think Zach said it the best, you know, it's like, sure, we feel bad for you. We, you don't want your medical condition but there, there's certain etiquette that should be followed. I agree with you, Zach. I have, I have nothing uh, as interesting or mysterious as that noise that you described. The only thing that pops into my head, which I think makes absolutely no sense, is one of those, like, Jarvik artificial hearts that are external. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure if you, have, if you have one of those, you can't leave the hospital, I'm pretty sure. Like, if they install an external heart, they wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, you know, it just you keep it in this briefcase, a tube runs up your arm, and you're good. You can go to the movies. There's no way that could be the case. <laughs> so Maybe, I, I, maybe, maybe this guy was about to die, and his, like, last wish was seeing this film. Maybe it was like, like, <laughs> like as soon as he walked out of the theater, like, he walked to the parking lot and just collapsed. Oh, maybe that was his, his dying wish was to see Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, so while I like that, that's pretty funny. <laughs> while I did not have anything as mysterious or as as upsetting during my viewing of the movie, um, there, there was a this theater was there was a lot of people, seventy eight people when I got a count when I got in there. Uh, this is more than when I saw Solo and Jurassic World combined. But remember, Jurassic World I saw at ten o'clock at night with with twelve people. Um, so the one thing that actually did happen to me, uh, someone in my row. Had a burrito. Uh oh. Someone in my row had a burrito. Like there is a there's called like Matador Mexican Grill, which is next to the movie theater. And someone came in like while I was sitting there before the previews even started, and he just sat down a few seats away from me and busted out a burrito and started eating it. Um, 
he he was quiet about it. He didn't draw attention to himself. You know, he wasn't like, I got a burrito. And, you know, his eating of the of the food only went a little into the credits. Uh, not the credits, the previews. But I was most upset by that I could smell it. Yeah, that's what like, I'm thinking like, about. I was like, well, you know, it was no shock. I had smoked some weed before sitting in a movie theater for two hours. And I was like, God fucking damn it. Why do I have to smell a burrito when I have the munchies? Like, that's just messed up. But couldn't do anything. I couldn't leave and, and get a burrito myself and get back in time for the movie. I just, I had to tough it out. <laughs> oh so uh, I will say that, as Zach mentioned, I was also the youngest person in my theater, and it was crazy. That was the thing that surprised me the most, I believe. Like, the just the average age was, you know, I would say, you know, in the 60s. These were old, some yeah. old-looking people. Um, nothing against that. You know, I like Zach said, you hear the coughing, you hear the chewing, you hear the eating, you hear the... Whenever they have to get up in the middle of the movie, it takes them, like... A few extra seconds to get it out of the theater because it's they, worth they're, noting they're that you slower. bring that up, and that happened a lot in my theater. Like, if again, it, it was almost like the last kitty movie I ever, I think I saw in the theaters was uh, Muppets Most Wanted, and that was like four years ago. And I feel like a, I feel like a pervert because like, like the average age of the theater audience was like seven, and I'm like <laughs> twenty one. And like, but like that was an example. Like, I, I constantly there was like parents like walking their kid out of the movie theater, coming back in, and this was ju- again like Rob said. This was just like that. Like no, and that's our part. Of the, again, there's also one part of my story I did leave out. But we'll get to that once Rob's done. Was that like <laughs> people were just like like nobody could sit still. Like everybody was just constantly getting up, leaving the theater, coming back, and it was just it was the weirdest thing. It's like again, maybe we're just too disciplined, but it's like you go to a movie, you sit down, you watch the movie, and unless you have like. The urge from hell to urinate, you deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? That's that's a really good point, Zach. I, I don't know if I personally would say that we're more disciplined, or maybe I'm not more disciplined. It's just when you're there to see something, see it. Like I'm thinking of movies. I'm thinking of you know uh, conferences I go to. Any anytime I see someone talk, any any event where you're sitting to watch something. You're always surrounded by people who are doing anything else, it seems. Just see it. Just sit there and watch it. Why are you even there if you're not going to watch it? I totally agree with you, Zach. I completely agree. Um, you know, that's, that's why you got to come out to Colorado and you can, you can use marijuana to take that edge off. Uh, it, it doesn't take the whole edge off, but I didn't notice too much fidgeting. I guess I was calm enough for that in my theater. <laughs> I really, that's pretty much it for my movie going experience. I wanted to get out that they were old people. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the fact when we get into some scenes of how these old people reacted, you better believe. Uh, so what, what did you leave out? What do you, what do you uh, mind the one from thing your story? I, the one thing I left out, um, on top of the, the sack of flesh is garbage bag full of popcorn about, like I said, like, the audience of this movie was like, again, 65 years old and like white old men. Mm-hmm. And I lowered the age. Then like, I think it was like, maybe like, like, like five minutes before the previews ended, two it had to be my age. And it's worth noting too is that they oh, these two women had on this like super 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 sweet perfume. Oh, so God. you have that should not- be illegal across the fucking. That should be a war crime to yeah. wear perfume that's sweet. I hate that. It was like so. This is my theater going experience for the gritty uh, U.S. cartel crime film. You have zombie Darth Vader behind me, <laughs> um, Bed Bath and Body Works to my left. 
a sack of human flesh with a garbage bag full of popcorn that couldn't sit still. Like, that was my movie-going experience for this. Yet, somehow, it was infinitely better than Infinity War. Somehow. <laughs> Infinity um, War being the gold standard on how if you want to ruin a movie, someone. That is a, there, there is a manifesto begging to be written on how to ruin a movie theater, and that is the uh, sole evidence. That is, that is evidence A through Z. Mm, but that was my note. But you know, the woman who sat next to me that reeked of Dead Bat okay. and Body Works, okay. that, that was another part of it. I'm like, oh my. Because every time they moved, like, you got like a, like, just a wave of just mm-hmm. this like, overly berry smell. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's like going to the movies. That's you're terrible. not going on a hot date. <laughs> Unless oh, you're man. going to see Sicario Day of the Soldado. Yes, that just screams date. A middle date, middle of the day. I was about to say date night, date middle of the day. <laughs> this is all worth noting. This is all, this is at twelve forty showing. Like this is not like like if this happened at like eight thirty at night or like later, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, the weirdos are coming out of the woodwork. I get it. This is at twelve forty. It's like I don't have a job. What's these other people's excuses? It's like, like I'm a schmuck that sits there, makes a podcast, and, and paints replica toy guns. It's like what? Like, like, like what? Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually out in my town. I've had better experiences going later at night. I think that's what I should stick to. <laughs> I think <laughs> like, there's this weird thing going on in the culture where, like, like the, I think it's become like a thing now. People are like, oh, if you want like a quiet movie going experience, like go like on like a weekday like mm-hmm. matinee and i think there's this weird sort of just like oh god like counterintuitive like like it's kind of like oh it's like it's like uh counter yeah it's, it's it's like when everybody has the same idea to leave a little early to beat rush hour it just makes rush hour earlier everybody has the same idea to go to the theater at the better time which makes it the worst time yeah I, i'm really i'm getting that feeling that it's just like that's the worst time to go again i don't i don't ever want to test that Mm-hmm. Because I come in that again, I've been to the seven o'clock showings of Marvel movies opening night, and as I've has as I've stayed where <laughs> the theater reeks of pot for Spider Man Homecoming, it's it, I don't again I think it's just a thing. I think the movie going experience is becoming more and more horrible. It's just it's it's yeah. it's it's on the road to oblivion. It's like it's only a matter of time until Disney owns all the movie theaters anyway. And it's just perpetual Marvel and Star Wars. <laughs> yes. So it's like, like there's not going to be a. Like, it's kind of amazing this was even in theaters. Like in all honesty, like the more I think about it, like this would have been a perfect like uh, video on demand title. It's like spend fifth, like rent it for like ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for twenty. Like this would have been like a perfect like VOD title like day and day, where it's just oh here's ten dollars you can sit in your home and watch because I don't think this is a film that necessitates being on the big screen. Yeah, you know that that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think I would have been just as content seeing it on my TV, sitting in my living room. Absolutely. Let's delve back into this film. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm we got glad our we, going glad we talk- out of the way. That was a good. That was a good one to talk about. Seventy five <laughs> minutes later, let's now get back to the film. We got to rant. Okay, I gotta I gotta start with, like I said before, the beginning in this movie and what it throws us into because this is one of the things that I was. Um, somewhat surprised with this movie maybe not surprised but just how much violence they threw at us right away and i'm i'm gonna and i'll explain it because it's not just like what is it the terminator 3 like terminator 3 it just starts and it's action and it just never stops this this was like different types of violence and action so it starts with the the first scene we get are the people crossing the border they get caught one of them pulls out a prayer mat and explodes. 
that's the first scene we get, right? Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, we get an explosion. Next scene we get is the, what do you call it, the off-brand or the knockoff Kmart or something yes. like that? As I was watching that scene, because I knew it was going to happen, and mm-hmm. as I'm watching it, because I, I always, I don't think that's a thing I love in movies where it's like it's like the knockoff off-brand. Like I know it's like knockoff off-brand Circuit <laughs> City, and this was clearly because I also think it's weird too. Like, what store do you walk into and you immediately like it's you have the sliding glass doors and you immediately have all the aisles right there. There's no cash register, it's just yeah. aisles. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and it's like I'm, I'm like that's the weird part of me. Like I'll look at that. And, but, and during that scene, like I said, most of it was obstructed. I only got the, I, did, I didn't get to see the guy blow himself up with the the, the, the parent with her kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a person standing in front of the screen during that thirty seconds. So, but like as I'm watching it, though, I'm like, oh, because obviously, again, plus I, again, you know, when you see three guys like that walking into a crowd of plastic, oh, they're gonna blow themselves up. There's no, oh yeah, like, that, they, that, they disperse perfectly. <laughs> yeah, there's no tension. Like you know what's going to happen. It's like, oh, like, they're gonna blow themselves up. Especially after you tell the other, like if you, if the movie just started off that way, I think it would have oh. probably been better that you get rid of them crossing the border. Like you get yes. rid of that, yeah, and you have them sit, sit there. It's like oh, and it's like then you have. I think that would have been better. It's like oh, because because there's also a weird line again on top of the fact that we thought Reyes was dead. Mm-hmm. There's another really weird line of dialogue later in the film that 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 comes out of nowhere and kind of. Uh, Diffuses some of the impact of that uh, supermarket scene or off-brand Kmart. Oh, it's when they is it? Are you talking about when they find out the terrorists are from New Jersey, not yes. Mexico? Yeah, Catherine, <laughs> Catherine, current Keener turns around to Josh Brolin's like the terrorists are from New Jersey. We ID'd the other bombers, Matt. They're U.S. citizens. They're from New Jersey. It change anything? It changes the fucking narrative. And I'm like. Doesn't that just nullify the entire events of this film? I'm like, why it, isn't the movie it absolute, here? It absolutely does, and I loved it. I absolutely loved that, because the government was like, yeah, we fucked up, so but, Josh but Brolin, it, kill everybody. I was like, but, fucking great. <laughs> but, the, but, the move, but the government did screw up, though, because you have that whole thing with the, the person crossing the border, and they blow themselves up. Like, if you yeah. take out that scene... It would have made perfect sense, and I don't know why. Because, like again, and like I said, that, that New Jersey thing just comes at, it, and it's also never, it's never set up earlier in the film where it's like, oh, we don't know where these guys came from. Because oh, they make yeah, it they're very just like cartels. They're coming across the border. That's the well, problem. Well, the whole scene with Josh Brolin and the guy in Djibouti was was that he he's like, I know you know who set this up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, and, and that's the whole point of that scene. He wants to know what cartel would have uh, transported these guys. Yes. And so, like again, like you're defeat. Like everything in the everything that's happened in the movie at that point is just kind of like blown up. It's yeah. like, like I, we have to insert the clip again of the shed from the first film exploding. It's like, like it's just blown up. It's like it's like, oh, what's the point? It's like Josh Brolin's like, oh, okay. It's like, yep. what do you want me to do? It's like, it's yep. like, it's like, okay, you gave me wrong intel. This is on you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an operator. Like, I clean up. Like, I go after these people. It's not my job to clean up messes that you instigated. It's it, it, it was the weirdest thing. Never mind, Catherine. Like, I don't know. This is a weird thing that's been going on in Hollywood lately. Um, 
Catherine Keener is like an actress. Like yeah. apparently, like the only thing I I know that she's done like that's like super mainstream was the Forty Year Old Virgin, and Absolutely. she like she, she's done like bit bit things since that, which that was like movies like what thirteen years old now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, she's one of those faces that I think a lot of people know, but they might not know her name. Like she's that's a glor- like, like she's like one step above a character actor. She has like five minutes in Get Out. Um, she has three that's minutes in right. this. She's she's the bad guy. Okay, spoiler. She's the bad guy in Incredibles too. Apparently, oh, um, but like, like that's voice acting. So like she doesn't really have like an on screen presence. And yet, like I, when I think of Katherine Keener, I think of like the most like subdued performance ever. Mm-hmm. Like like she's a definition of like like an actor that really doesn't like like she's not overly charismatic. Yeah, she's just kind of, she's she's like she's good, but she doesn't like she doesn't like steal any scene she's in. Like her entire thing in Get Out is that she 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 swirls tea. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, her entire, that's all her character does in that movie. Yet, like again, but that's neither here nor there. But again, like she's in this movie for like three minutes, mm-hmm. and like I know some of the reviews I was reading and like listening to and watching for like, oh, the, this is this though. I'm like, she does nothing. All she does is like like go up to Josh Brolin's like, we need your help. Josh Brolin, what are you doing with this girl? And then Josh Brolin need to kill Benicio del Toro in the girl, and that's it. That's her entire character. And and you're saying that that a lot of people are giving her high praise for doing nothing in a lot of these roles. Yeah, they're saying like she, she's okay, okay. This, like phenomenal actress, and yet like <laughs> she's 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 not by any means bad, but like it's the definition of serviceable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, she she just kind of has that. Uh, she has a somewhat unique voice, and I think she's used for that. And she does everything kind of. I think you might have said not restrained, but something like that. You know, she doesn't do much. She she just kind of plays her roles in a contained way. Yeah, it's like, it's not it's, it's not. Yeah, it's like I, I never seen her in anything that would lead me to believe that she's bombastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like, absolutely. Or like or like where she really like makes a character her own. Like there's no. Oh god, I, I you know again not to bring this back to again bring it back to Sicario, but like Benicio del Toro. It's like like Benicio del Toro's done everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, like yeah, in Sicario, it's his, oh god, his such his reserved performance or very nuanced performance in that. Like again, he is essentially again he's a a spy Terminator in the first film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a subdued performance, and that's why it really clicked with a lot of people. And yet, it's it's easily one of his least charismatic performances. <laughs> yeah, it works. And yeah, I don't know why people are kind of worse. Again, like I guess I don't know. Like that's just a weird thing. Again, if anybody out there listening really loves Catherine Keener, um, please tweet <laughs> at us or uh, email us at cinemodies at gmail Please tell us why Catherine Keener is the second coming of Christ. We are we are very interested in that. Yeah, yeah, we got some spots open for series next year. If you if you want to make a pitch for the Catherine Keener series, <laughs> it's wide open, folks. Oh man. <laughs> No, yeah, okay, I, I, I agree. Um, I agree with you on Catherine Keener. On the point that led up to Catherine Keener, where, you know, the whole terrorists are from New Jersey, and it's like, well, what? Uh, that That's something that I was just kind of like, I was totally on board with, like I said, you know? It, it doesn't make much sense as a, as a storytelling, uh, as a pivot, I think, because it's not set up, as we've already discussed, with the whole crossing the border at the start. But, you know, I was I was strapped in by that point, I was just ready to go on, you know, since I work for the government, I, I can never be against when we get someone from the government saying they fucked up. I mean, they don't say they fucked up, but they did fuck up. Always great to hear that. <laughs> but like, no, so but, I, I liked it. 
But this is what takes, again, much like how when Benicio Del Toro refuses to kill the girl, this also took me out of the movie. Because, like, again, I'm looking at these okay. characters. Again, I've, again we, we discussed Sicario, the first one in length. Um, I, I really like the Josh Brolin character. I like Benicio Del Toro's character from the first film. And, like, as a, and, and again, I know that that uh, character type in the movie. It's, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the character that's really infallible. They can't do anything wrong. And, like, the Josh Brolin, again, I feel like these are two different characters. Like, Josh okay. Brolin's character in this and Benicio Del Toro's. And where it's like, if Josh Brolin was, from the first film was told this, he would have been like, F this, I'm going to get my guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, and that's what Ben. Like, he would have sat there, gotten a helicopter, and said, "Let them clean up this mess. I'm getting my guy." And Benicio del Toro would have shot the girl in the head, and that would have been it. It would have been move on to the Reyes cartel. I get been this like, okay, this thing got, got the government was incompetent. They ruined this. Then now they have to eat it. And, and our job is not to clean up their mistakes. And and that's what it was. Like, that's just a vi- again. That's what the characters in the first film would have done. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're not given any. Like, again, going back to Star Wars versus Empire, it's like, oh, why are characters behaving differently? Oh, like, they, like they lost this huge battle on Hoth. It's like, that's why everybody's behaving. Like, everybody's pinned against the wall. Yes. Han and Leia are on the Millennium Falcon being chased by Darth Vader and countless Star Destroyers. And Luke is in the middle of nowhere with this little green creature teaching him about something he really has no way of grasping. <laughs> and so with this, though, there really is no element where they're, until, again, halfway through the movie... They're they're backed against the wall. Yes, okay, but you see, El Del Toro refuses to kill this girl. It's never explained why does he not want to kill this girl again. He killed a family in the first movie, and they were the family of a cartel mm-hmm. uh, or, a, or a, a cartel kingpin. And this is the daughter of a cartel kingpin. There's never any moment in this where you have a moment where like oh you see the the girl. Is different. Like we ever had that moment where it's like, oh, she's like, like she's better than what her family is. No, no. I I took from from the second movie and my knowledge of the first movie. I took it uh, Benicio del Toro's uh, care for the girl solely as him thinking of his daughter. That's how, how I took it. I don't think there was any scene that really grew a bond between them. But knowing his daughter and the whole thing with the deaf guy, and he's like, my daughter was deaf. That's what I took it as. That's how I perceived it. Is he cared for her like his own daughter? But is that so? so basically, any, so as long as the Mexican cartels have daughters, he's not going to interfere with them. So, like, all they got to do is basically just get a bunch of daughters <laughs> and put them around their complex. And Benicio del Toro's like, "I'm sorry, guys, I'm out. I got daughters. Can't go near them." That makes it's me like think that's... of the uh, the Rick and Morty when he gets Rick gets all the Mortys. Oh, yeah. On that, on the dome or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all, yeah. Cartel daughters. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's like oh, like it's like oh, that's so lazy though. Again, no, no. But, I, I hear what you're saying, Zach. I, I, I hear what you're saying. With everything you just said, I'm not going to rehash that this movie works for me because I think we established that. But with everything that all the points you just made, I want to pose you a question. Do you think this would have worked better as a prequel? Um, not if, as a prequel. Well, if, if our characters weren't to that level of we are just the kick-ass agents that can do shit and get it done that they are in the first movie, they're still getting to that point. What What do you think about that? Because because that that's because that's kind of when you were giving your answer. That's what I thought of. Well, if it was switched, if maybe Benicio del Toro's family was was more recently killed, it would have been more believable that he cares for this girl in his search for revenge because it's not as fleshed out. What do you think? Uh, okay, um, a prequel, I'm going to again, 
if you took this out of the realm of the cartels, I mm-hmm. think you could have taken the exact same structure that this movie currently is, and it would have worked. Like, let's say you bring Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin, they're going to, I don't know, um, oh God, I was going to say Kosovo, but that's not a thing anymore. Fiji. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, Fiji. Um, Chechnya. Like, take okay. them somewhere there, or, I don't know, somewhere where it's a little bit more removed, like, from a, a again, again, that's another thing, too, is, like, we have all this stupid nonsense with the immigration across the board. Like, this movie is very timely. Mm-hmm. That's w- one thing worth noting. I, and that might have been the reason why we have a bunch of people in my theaters that maybe it's, it's a timely movie. I, I don't know. It's like, it's, I don't think a prequel would made any better, because there's also another really weird line of dialogue in this, where it's, like, Josh Brolin's, like, like it's, he's, like, I made him. Like, we're, we're not going to get another one like him. And Catherine's like, make another one. Oh, not like him. You know how hard it was to make. I could throw a stick across the river and hit 50 grieving fathers. Make another one. And, like, Benicio Del Toro is, like, what? Like, in his late 40s? You can't train someone to be an all-star assassin in their, like, early 40s. That's just not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. That's why the military recruits, like, the, the day you turn 18, and they basically, and if you want to be, like, a Navy SEAL or, like, an Army Ranger or Special Forces, they basically have conformed you within, like, two, three years. Like, you're in your early 20s and like, in the absolute latest mid-20s. And after that, they don't want any parts of you. The CIA is not paying to train, like, a middle-aged lawyer to become, like, a, like an assassin. I'm like, yeah, sorry, yeah. movie. You t- like, I swear, wherever Taylor Sheridan was, like, writing this to coffee shop, like, on the studio lot, he must have, like, had to take a whiz and use the bathroom. And, like, Colin Trevorrow, like, snuck into his table <laughs> and started, like, furiously scribbling, scribbling his ideas onto, like, the script. Uh, I like Taylor to think that never noticed it. When when uh, Colin Trevorrow goes and like snags these scripts, I like to think that he he screams out "Borrow Trevorrow" when he does this. <laughs> Trevorrow's like, like like a script gremlin. He's like sneaks into different projects and just ruins them and runs away. <laughs> Yes. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, no, going back to your question, though, it's like, I don't think a prequel would have made this any better. I, I, okay. I don't. Okay. Like, yes, you see them have a more difficult time, mm-hmm. like, doing things. But, I, again, I think that devalues, like, again, it, the Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro is a very idealized version of, like, what the CIA does. It's like the CIA, CIA does like, all these incredibly messed up things, though. Yes. But, yes. It, it, again, it's the whole ideal of, like, how bad do the bad do the good guys have to be in order to get the job done? Mm-hmm. It's like, like like the bad guy the good guys have to be bad in order to beat the bad guys. And again, Sicario, not to repeat myself, is like the perfect like idealized version of that, where it's like, oh, the CIA is going to do these horrible things, they're going to break so many laws, yet at the end of the day, they accomplish their mission. And it's yeah. like, yes, yes, they corrupted Emily Blunt. Yes, they murdered Mexicans on Mexican soil. Yet at the end of the day, they wiped out a, a cartel in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. Like again, that's how the movie ends. Like, and, and Emily Blunt has that moral dilemma when she's about she she can shoot Benicio del Toro. Yet he knows that she is the American people. She is the common citizen of. He is a horrible human being. But at the end of the day, he is making the world a better place through his horrible actions. Mm-hmm. And, and and she decides, she goes, I can't kill him because he is winning at the end of the day. He is going to eventually make this pl- this world a better place. And this movie completely takes that the message of the first film and just throws it out the window and says, Nope, everything's going to go to hell. And and again, it's it, it, it advances the plot forward. 
at the sake of what everything the first movie was staked upon. And again, if there was like a, and that's what makes this movie so weird. It's the same screenwriter. I, mm-hmm. I, I cannot wrap my head around the fact that the same guy, it, which makes me wonder how much of the first film wasn't the screenwriter and yeah. it was Denis Villeneuve. And I'm starting to think that was more of his thing as opposed to the screenwriters. Yeah, that's a good point. That could certainly be the case. Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, who do we tweet? <laughs> no, who do we I, tweet? You know what? I, I didn't think about it until you said it in this recording, but I really do like the thought of just taking this movie and removing it from the cartels. Like, you know, why? Uh, it starts with Graver in Africa uh, doing his torture scene. Have it be in Africa. Sure. Fiji, uh, where, wherever else, Chechnya, Zach said, whatever. I like that. That would have that would have definitely elevated it for sure. I like that thought. Anywhere, again, I know you can tie it into the cartels, mm-hmm. but you don't need them once again. And the fact that again, like the scene where they're bringing the girl back into Mexico, and we have again another uh, what would be the uh, 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 Bizarro World Extraction Jackson, where they're bringing her back. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like and it's like oh, again, another. And like, whereas the first movie was really clever, where you had them go through all of Juarez, you see all these horrible things, mm-hmm. and nothing really hits the fan until they are right on the precipice of the U.S. border, and that's just and they're stuck in traffic, and everything kind of hits the fan all at once. Yes, and again, and, and probably my favorite line from the film of Emily Blunt's, "What the blank are we doing? What the fuck are we doing?" Yeah, and it's like, and yet in this, and again, because the whole time you're that whole Juarez scene, you're like waiting for and the rubber band just keeps getting pulled back further and further and further, and you know it has to snap. Mm-hmm. And it, it just keep, and they get all the way to the edge, and you're like, what's going to happen? And with this though, it's like, oh, it's in again, like Josh Brolin says, I don't like dirt roads. I'm like, of course, it's an ambush. It's yeah, like, yeah that, that's a good point. I see a lot of the things that you just described in the other Denis Villeneuve movies I've seen. So I'm thinking that he uh, he had to well of course he had a big part in it but yeah I think you're making a good argument that this movie kind of demonstrates how much he bled over into the script of that first one into the the development and production of that I first think one. into the filmmaking I think he yeah, I, again yeah. it's like the screenwriter hands in his script to the studio the studio says yes we want to make this the director gets hired and, and puts his own input in, though. But there's, I, I would imagine there was a lot of artistic liberties taken with mm-hmm. that. First. Like, like the, and also another thing that was weird with this movie was that the color palette is completely different. Like, the first Sicario yeah. is a very well-lit film. It's not bright, but it's, it's, very, it's not Spielberg well-lit, where, like, where the characters just glow. Mm-hmm. But everything, it's not a movie that takes place in the shadows. Yeah. Whereas this is a very dark overcast film and like even the scenes like in the government buildings with matthew modine it's like him is like secretary of defense is like, yep. like again they're in office building like we think about again you juxtapose those two scenes from the first sicario you have victor garber in the conference room with josh brolin mm-hmm. very brightly lit like fluorescent lighting or it's supposed to emulate fluorescent lighting um everybody's well lit everything's well defined there's really no shadows yeah there and was some have, vibrancy to it Exactly, some texture, yeah, yeah, very vibrant. And yet, you go to the scene again. Very similar scene. He goes to uh, Matthew Modine, who's a Secretary of Defense in Washington D.C. And you get you have people. It's not a conference room, but it's somebody. It's it's an office. You have three or four people there on top of the the person who's in charge. And Josh Brolin's there. And yet, like the blinds are open. It's just overcast. Like it's very muted. It's very like yep. oh god. Again, it's a very overcast scene. 
And, and like even in, that, like in the first, again, the conference scene with Sicario, Josh Brolin, we, at the moment we see him in that building, and he's wearing the first shot of him we get is the sandals. And it just mm-hmm. shows you, he's a rogue in this world. Like, yeah. like he plays by his own rules. And, and he gets results. That's why he's allowed to do, he basically has no leash. And yet we see him, and this takes place after the first, or maybe, do we know if it takes place? Maybe it is a prequel. Do we know for a fact that this takes place after the events of the first film? Oh, you, you know what? No, I I don't know. I don't think there's any mention of a year. Well, I don't know if there's an mention of a year in the first one. I really don't know if we have any indication of where this takes place relative to the first. That's, huh. so, so maybe there is a thing. I, I, no, no, he doesn't have the scar. He doesn't have the scar through because at the end of the film, he has the scar of the bullet through his cheek. Yeah. So, yeah, so it takes, yeah, it takes place right. out okay. So yeah, so con- unless unless they're gay, I don't know. I, I, okay, so it takes place after the first one, um, but no, but like again, and you have this scene, and Josh Brolin is very clearly not in charge of the Secretary Defense meeting. Like he is mm-hmm. clearly, I don't want to say he's out of his depth, but he's in a different world than he's typically used to operating in. Yes, like and maybe that's what they're going for. Like in the first one, he's arguing with like FBI people and like ATF people. And, and, and then in this, he's talking to the Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yes, maybe maybe they are trying to say that he's out of his league, which, again, takes away... And he's supposed to be a CIA person, and, the whole, again, and that's kind of a theme, not just in this film, but in a lot of films like this. The CIA is just really this weird rogue actor that just does whatever they want because they have no jurisdiction. Oh, yes, yeah. And that's in a lot of movies. Like anytime you introduce the CIA as like a plot del- uh, a plot element into like mm-hmm. a crime film, it's called "Oh man, the rules just went out the window." Yeah, because <laughs> the CIA can do whatever they want, and no one and, and there's no accountability for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's again, it's so weird that in the end of the film or halfway through the film, like Kathleen Keener's like shut it down. It's like what? And, again, and, and, and there's this really again a weird line where it's like she's like the narrative has changed. Fox yeah. News is showing a Mexican police being murdered, and I'm like in the middle of nowhere at a hum at like a, 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 a not a procession, but like like, like a group convoy. of Humvees. Yeah. convoy. Yes, thank you. A convoy of Humvees. It's like what? It's like you put that on the news. No one's even getting like and again juxtapose that with the first scene uh, or the Juarez scene. You have a bunch of clearly military people. There'd be security cameras monitoring the border from every single angle mm-hmm. and just murder a bunch of like Mexicans with like tattoos. That would that would blip on somebody's radar infinitely more than what? Dashboard oh. like did the, Mex- did the Mexican police even have dashboard cameras? Uh, who knows? Like, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, like a a, a killing at the border. Versus a dirt road ambush, absolutely, you know, one would get more media coverage and one would have more people caring about it. Yeah, and if they were dirty cop, Mexican cops, they wouldn't turn their cameras on if they had them. They wouldn't want a record of this. So, like, this weird thing where, like, there's a, it's on Fox News and there's a narrative around it. What narrative? (laughs) It's like, it's so weird. It's like, again, I don't know whether, again, is it the screenwriter's fault? Or is it the director's fault? Because I'm not sure if Rob knows this and his probably the research he did though. But the first film was a Lionsgate film, and apparently mm-hmm. Lionsgate had the option to do this, and they just dumped it, and Sony picked it up. Oh, okay. And, and so I'm wondering if again the, the I, I don't know if the same uh, head of the studios at Lionsgate that like greenlit this back like in like 2014 
was involved with passing on on this film. Mm-hmm. But like again, if I was the person that saw the potential in the first film, if this was brought to my desk, I would have said no because you, you're defeating the person again. There's a weird, a lot of weird inconsistencies from the first film, and considering the fact the first film was not a huge financial success, like this is like yes. thematically, this is very similar to Jurassic World to Jurassic World Two. Is that you have a sequel that sets up a very Oh God! Define. It sets up a very defined world, mm-hmm. and then the sequel just throws the rules out. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting for sure. Um, geez, I think I had a I think I had something to say in there. I think I lost it though. <laughs> I talked too much. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, no you're making you're making good points. Um, it, you know, they're, they're definitely distinctly different movies, and. You know, I, I think there's just part of me that thinks, because you mentioned it kind of separately, but I want to bring it together. Do you think that when this was getting pitched, maybe just as Sicario 2, maybe when there was some notion of a script or an idea attached to it, when the, it was getting pitched around the production companies and the executives, do you think that they were caring more about the politics of it than the actual story? Do you I, think that that could have well, played a, a big role in kind of what was what they were looking at and looking for and caring more about? Possibly, I don't. I don't know. Again, that's one thing about these movies is that, and that's why again, going back to the audience, I saw it with. I don't think these are. Again, like, so I'm usually like, much how like I picked out in Jurassic World Ted Levine's line, "What a nasty woman." Mm-hmm. It's like I don't pick up any sort of like political bias in, in these films mm-hmm. like I, the, again the first film is not saying any anybody's right or wrong i get i think the first film is very clearly saying the cartels are bad yeah yeah at the same time again the cia is doing bad things too it's kind of the whole idea you, you can only fight fire with fire mm-hmm. um how do you put out an oil fire you light another fire right next fire next to it and <laughs> and with this i don't again i don't because the movie makes it very clear again you have people blowing up American citizens and the whole fact you have a mother with her child and she's yep. pleading and it does nothing. Mm-hmm. And then again, I don't see, again, I think this film definitely paints, uh, I don't want to say the cartels, but it, it, it paints the, the, uh, the, the human traffickers, the smugglers in a much more humanizing light. Yes, absolutely. But, but at the end of the day, though, Josh Brolin just wipes them out. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. so like it, again, I, in, in, a, in an age where everything is just hitting you over the head with everybody's own like political preference, and concerning the topic of this, I don't think there is a. It's a weird. Again, I never would have thought in 2018 a film about the cartel and like smuggling people across the border would be apolitical. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. It's it's like it, that. That might be the the cinematic level to this. That again, 2018. Um, the political fissure is at its absolute widest, especially <laughs> over Mexico and just again letting people across the border. And yet, a film about that that comes out right in the heat of it is strangely divorced from all politics. Yeah, you know that's a. That's a really interesting thought because this movie does the whole Mexican cartel thing, but it even blends in like uh, terrorists and the and the terrorists that you know are commonly depicted in media or at least American media. So it's kind of got like you know just it's hitting you from all angles, and it is strangely apolitical, as you said. Uh, it really is. It's, this it's, is. It's, the, 
I think this is the time where, uh, just to emphasize this point more, I should talk about the one gasp I got in my movie theater, because I think this makes this point fantastically. Beginning in this movie, like we said, someone pulls out a prayer mat and explodes. Then we get terrorists blowing themselves up, you know, killing a little girl and a mother in a knockoff Kmart. Then we get Graver blowing up some dude's family with a drone. What do we get not soon after that? The introduction to Isabella Reyes, the little girl, the first thing we get to see her doing, she's in a fight. She's in a fight with one of her scrappy 11-year-old classmates. She punches the classmate. Someone gasped. Someone fucking gasped at that. They didn't gasp at the at the woman pleading with the with the suicide bomber. Please, you don't have to do this. That's not no, that that doesn't deserve a gasp. But oh man, one little girl punches another? My sensibilities. <laughs> I think that's, I think that just goes to what we were saying, you know, that it's just strangely apolitical. People are somewhat so desensitized to these things, they just stopped caring. I don't even, that, that might be part of it though, but I think it's the thing too, is the film does not make you pick a side. Like, I think, I think that's another thing that's missing from this film is that, cause again, you watch the, again, I guess I'm assuming that anybody who sat through this film has seen the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, there, there was nothing in the marketing for this film that would say, Hey, um, come check this out. It, it's like, if you haven't already been, if you didn't come in on the ground floor with the first film, like, I don't think anything in the marketing did that? Can, Rob, would okay. you have seen, if you saw a commercial for this without any knowledge of the first one, would you have been like, "Oh, I want to go see this in theaters"? Probably not. Exactly. I would. I, I'm sure I would have thought, you know, some something like a generic action movie or something like that. Exactly, and, and the posters uninspiring. The trailers are uninspiring. It's it's. There's no hook here unless you just <laughs> again unless you really like the first film. There's no reason to really walk into this franchise now. Yes. Yes, and but going back, and I, th- I think that's part of it too. Is that I think people didn't respond to any of the violence um, outside. Maybe I know in my audience when he gets when he lifts his head off after he, after he shot in the face, mm-hmm. and um, he lifts his he lifts his head up, and you see like the stuff just pouring out. You see the blood pouring out of him. Like I got I, I got a I, everybody goes, mm. thinking, it, that, but that's not that's a response you expect from anybody. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's gruesome. Like any, any but it's kind of like anything. It's like watching sports, and you see the guy kind of like bend backwards as he's as he's tackled. Like mm-hmm. you, you, just you're gonna listen to a response from that. Um, the only other time I got a response from my audience, um, I didn't get it for uh, uh, the girl getting punched <laughs> in the face. I did not get a response <laughs> for that. But to be fair, zombie Darth Vader might have uh, breathed over that. So who knows? <laughs> um, no, the only time I can remember the audience actually responded to anything, and you're gonna like this. Was um when Benicio del Toro impersonates being a DEA agent and he has an American accent. Oh, okay. <laughs> a few people laughed in the theater at that. That that did catch me off guard. Like, oh really? I, I, yeah, I should have. I mean, I've I've seen Benicio del Toro do tons of accents before. I should have known. I, I knew they were faking the rescue, and I knew he was gonna have to do a different accent. But I, I guess I just didn't fully acknowledge it. And, like, the first line is, is really quick or something. Like, the first line where he doesn't have an accent, I think it's something just, like, clear in here, or it's a very brief call-out or something well, like American. that. Well, he's American. He's doing a, a very deliberate yes. American yeah. accent. We've got another one here. No. Don't get over there, no, por favor. Are you okay? Are we clear? It's okay. 
And when it first happened, I was like, because he didn't give a lot of dialogue at first. I was like, what? I was like, what did I just hear? And then he kept doing more and it sunk in. Uh, yeah, it, it was a little, it caught me off guard. I think that's a good way to put it. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, I was the exact opposite. The moment he put on the DEA at, uh, jacket, I'm like, oh man, we're going to get, and I knew for a fact, we're going to get the most <laughs> dumb, cartoony American accent of like what American is. Like, hey, Bob. Like, <laughs> yeah. even, though, even though it's not that like, um hyperbolic it's or uh, oh my god um oh my god i can never talk um oh my <laughs> lord um oh my lord uh, embellished mm-hmm. it's it's like i it's brought there. there clear it's, there. it's 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 definitely meant to be like like generic american accent like oh yeah oh yeah it's so it's, it's meant to be it, can, it could be anybody and i thought that was great i'm like i knew it was coming i'm like oh man it's gonna be so good and that did not <laughs> disappoint me that did not disappoint me and he does it a couple more times but not I wish he'd done it more. Yeah, he kind of he gives up on it, you know. Once he is just in full on, I have to rescue you, little girl, because he does it for the little girl originally yeah. to keep her, you know, in the dark on their plan. But then he's just like, oh, well, fuck that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's. But, okay, um, okay, so people laughed. Okay, yeah, I only got the little. That was girl it. Punch. That was it. That other was... than that, um, other than the, the blood pouring out of his face and um, the American accent, I don't think I got any other responses out of my audience. So uh, I guess then we're getting to that point. Uh, so Benicio del Toro gets shot in the face. Um, well, we didn't even talk about the the, the whole subplot, the the Silvio of this film, uh, the boy who's the human smuggler. <laughs> we completely did not even discuss this. I know, Silvio I know. I was going to tie that in with the with the shooting thing, uh, but but yeah. So that was that was one of the things I was kind of like, eh, because you know the movie starts in a very similar fashion with that. We get you know, like. Mexican family, they're starting their day or whatever, and it follows a kid instead of the cop, uh, the guy, the father, the, who's the police officer. He doesn't go to school; he goes to work for the cartels. Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know that was. I was like, okay, because of our conversation on the first one, I kind of figured he was going to come back later and have some interaction somehow. And so I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, I thought it was interesting that you know he was the one to shoot him. I didn't really see that coming, um, but I guess you know. The big kind of payoff for that character is that they just happen to run into each other uh, <laughs> in a mall parking lot. Yeah, Miguel is, is like I think his name's Miguel in the movie. He uh, Miguel runs into Benicio del Toro in a mall parking lot in America, and then happens to run into him at the you know like the Coyote Depot where they're transferring people yeah. over the border in Mexico. Um, so. I guess that's the question. Uh, what do you think of that aspect of the story? Like his his downfall being a, a coincidence to some extent. It's not. Um, it, it's not even a downfall. I can. I feel like again, the moment the kid came on screen mm-hmm. and like the cousin picked him up, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be the Silvio of this film. Oh like, yeah. It's, it, oh, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be the thing where it's gonna be punctuated throughout moments of the film away from Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro, and it's going to tie in heavily in the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Which, even though it's not as um, removed early on as, as Silvio is, again, yeah. Silvio really has no importance in the movie until the last... Like, it's, it's all being built up. It's built up for that last, like, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, it's there. And like you said, just, he sees him in the parking lot for, like, 10 seconds. And it's like, oh, please. It's like, this kid's seeing hundreds of faces a day now. He's not, I mean, yes, Benicio, like, how do you forget Benicio Del Toro if you ran into him? <laughs> but, like, he gets almost hit by a car. It's like, whatever. 
It's like it's like, again fine. That, that's contrived, but it's not the most egregious thing in the world. So I'll give it a pass. Yes, yes. I, 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 I love the I love the uh, I guess the payoff. I don't know the payoff. I don't like the setup. So I really you know kind of getting along the lines of Benicio del Toro being this you know uh, human Terminator type of thing, even though he might not have been that completely in this movie. Um, I really like the idea of of like a secret agent or a spy or someone who's just so good at what they do and they get tripped up by something really, really tiny that they didn't think of. I like that idea, and that's kind of what happened to Benicio Del Toro. Like, he just never thought he'd run into this kid, you know? But they could have done something better. I agree with that completely, Zach. You know, if this kid almost got hit by a car in a mall parking lot once... Why wouldn't it happen again? <laughs> like, why wouldn't he see other people that he remembers just as well, you know? And so, like I said, the setup wasn't there. But I like that it was just kind of this coincidence that kind of gets that ball rolling for him getting into some trouble at the end. I like that concept. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of the, the inverse on that. The setup is serviceable. The payoff is stupid. Okay. Uh, okay. Because like, even, like, cause as I was watching this, I kind of am like, okay, how are they going to do this? Because I'm like... I, as soon as I knew he had to go protect the girl, I'm like, okay, where's the? Th- that's when officially I because as I'm watching the movie, like we read you the synopsis, I'm like, when's he gonna start? Like, like when is Josh Brolin gonna start going after him? Mm-hmm. And it's like we kind of agree that's around like halfway to like two thirds through the movie that starts to happen. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, where does the movie go from here? And so it's like, and he's like, oh, again, Benicio del Toro again. We're going back. It's supposed to be this guy who understands the. Mexico-U.S. border, the cartels like nobody else. He understands mm-hmm. how they operate, and that's why he's so dangerous. And I think even in this film, they say, wasn't he a lawyer for one of the cartels at one point? I think so, yeah. Because the daughter yeah. knows who he is. Yes, the daughter does know who he is, yeah. It, w- it was in, um, wasn't it in, like, uh, more south of Mexico? Well, not that people wouldn't know him. I'm sure he was involved as a lawyer for a cartel. It might not have been one of the ones involved in this movie. But I think so. I think we get indication to that effect. I think that, again, not to bring it back to this, but I think this devalues the first movie, because the whole point of him in the first movie is that he's supposed to just be this, again, I don't want to say Charles Bronson Death Wish-esque person, Mm -hmm. but he's supposed to be like this nobody who kind of just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Again, he's kind of like uh, the man, again, I don't know my spaghetti western, but the man with no name. He just kind of shows up out of nowhere. He'll disappear for like months, if not years, and Mm -hmm. he'll show up again when it's convenient for him or when he needs to, again, when when his interests align with someone else's. Yes. And um, and again, and that's the whole point of the first one, that he's just, again, he's, Oh God, he's he's in. It's, it's very Charles Bronson Death Wish esque. He's just he's he's right. out for revenge. Yep. Um, it's Death Wish combined with Taken, with a little <laughs> bit of the Terminator. It's it's like a blend of all these, and I think that's what makes him so interesting in the first film. The fact you have you have no idea what his background is. Mm-hmm. Um, is it even mentioned in the first film if he's a lawyer? Yeah, I think in his the exposition of what happened to his family. I think they tell say that he was a lawyer and his cartels got to him or something. Got to his family. Yeah, I think right. I, I remember that from the first one. Okay, because uh, again, again, Benicio del Toro. He's again, he's he's much like this. Is the thing in, I guess with all sequels is that the less you know about a mysterious character, the better. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like leave, leave his backstory shrouded. Um, it's like for every one question you answer, you should be asking another two. Yes, and and in this movie again, like again, he murders a family. Yeah. <laughs> he murders a cartel kingpin's two sons and wife. Just to watch him, su- that makes him eat his supper and then kills him. Mm-hmm. It's like that is incredibly brutal, 
And yet, and then she's like, I won't kill the daughter of the man who's responsible for my misery for the last how many years? It's like, it's like, oh, what does she have in common with my with with, the, with my daughter? They're both female. Well, that does it then. And it's, it's, it's like, it's like what? It's like, in all honesty, like if, if the the rayest guy was clever, he'd base his operations out of the all girl Catholic school. They'd yes. be impervious. They couldn't go near it. Yes. I, I, I completely agree with you on this facet of the story, Zach. I don't think children should be a motivator ever. I, well, not ever. I think in some cases it can work. Um, but, you know, it's not... A, I, I hate when movies and stories just kind of rely on that as just, oh, yeah, you get it? You're a human? Kids? Yeah, kids. Okay, good. You, you feel connected? Uh, so I agree with you on that. But I have to say, that's why I liked Benicio Del Toro getting shot in the face even more. Because he that's his whole thing. He's like, I'm going to go out of my way and throw all the shit that I've worked for out to protect this girl. And he gets shot in the face for it. That That is... That is a good thing for me. Of course, he lives, which we're going to have to talk about. But, you know, kind of how he gets to that point, his caring for that girl is what gets him in trouble. I agree with you. It makes no sense why he would care about her just because he had a daughter. That's a weak aspect of the story. But the story doesn't reward him for it. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that part works. But at the same time, though, it's a, it's, it's a foundation built on eggshells. Like yes, if there was yeah. like if there was one scene in this again he murders children and a wife to sit there torment someone that wasn't even the technically the bad guy that we thought he was the, the, yeah the, yeah the, the, apparently. it's like it, they should have had it I, I don't know how you do it because again killing children is like one of those things in the movies just shows how brutal you are it's kind of like killing the puppy. Unless you're again, like even Jason Voorhees does not kill the children. Mm-hmm. It's it's like and that's something that's really not done in movies, unless they're really like campy horror films and like super yeah. serious criminal thriller dramas. That does not happen. Like that's what the bad guys do to show you how. Again, think about it. First film, Benicio del Toro kills two uh, children, and yet we have a terrorist blow up wife, uh, a woman and her child, like. Mm-hmm. Technically, Benicio del Toro and the terrorists in the knockoff Kmart are the same. It's like anything to justi- ends justify the means. My goal yeah. is to incite yeah. terror. I'm going to do that by any means necessary. And yet, there's no again, there's no linchpin. Like, there's nothing the actress does. There's no scene in the movie where he'd be like, because like all we know is that she escapes during the uh, the uh, extraction. The uh, I'm sorry, Bizarro extracted Jackson. That goes yep. wrong. And so he's like, we need, Josh Brolin's like, damn it, we need to get the girl. And Josh Brolin's like, I'll, I'm sorry, um, Benicio Del Toro's like, oh, I'll go do it. And like, you have a freaking, like, like, what's the plane called? You have a drone. Mm -hmm. You can see where she is. Drive the Humvee and get her. Why does he have to go out on foot and get her? There's a thing called a heat signature. It's like, (laughs) and never mind, going back to the, um. Uh, the Bizarro Extraction Jackson when they're on the dirt road and like the, the I, bo- I have a boner guys like I have a bad feeling about this yeah. and they're like it's like it's like a, a contact right flank a pickup truck and I'm like you can see it have the drone pick it off from the sky yeah. it's like why on earth is there a guy like in a Ford F-150 with a rocket launcher and we'll get to drop on CIA guys in a Humvee no it's yeah a, yeah. And then at one point they call in like like a, a, a aerial strike, 
It's like, mm-hmm. what is this? It's like, if you have that power, it's kind of like uh, there's a line in like Iron Man 2 where it's, I think, forget Don Shields, like, something happens. They're fighting all the stupid, like, bad guys. And Tony Stark's like, get down. He's like, these weird, like, red energy beams. It, like, wipes all the enemies out. And he's like, maybe you should start with that next time. And, like, that's what it was. <laughs> if you have a, like, a, I don't know what the plane's called. Like, was, it's not a, I don't know what it's called. It's not a Warhawk. I'm trying to think what it is. So that can just wipe things out with an aerial strike. Mm-hmm. It's like, why not? Again, as soon as that truck showed up, blow it out of the freaking sky. Yeah. Like, what is this? Not, I, again, I don't know. Like, they knew. Th- again, why are you going down a dirt road? Where are you? Dro- like, I would imagine if you're dropping her off, you have a planned location. And you know you're not going there. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like, this is a, like, again, I don't mean to sound. Again, like, considering all the crap there's out there today. Uh, like this is a much, I don't even want to say it's better well-made. Like, I think this is a, again, it's a different movie than the first film. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm not someone who's like, I love the force awakens last Jedi's evil because it doesn't give me my head cannon. It's like everything that makes the first movie work is thrown out the window for stupider ideas. This is almost like a Jurassic park to Jurassic world level for me. It's like somebody who does not understand why the first one worked so well is trying to duplicate that, yet do it stupider, except Mm -hmm. except somehow the writer's the same person. I I don't know. That is very surprising, absolutely. I don't know. I I really – I I don't know. I haven't – this thing is – it's not getting as good as reviews of the first one, though, but it's still positive. So – I don't know. Like I said, I think this is a serious step down, but uh, let's get into... Uh, no, but okay, so let's get into uh, Benicio Del Toro getting shot in the face. Okay. So, so if I go... The, the question right. I have... Oh, do you, was there, do you want to give well, some lead-up? I'm going to lay it out. So, so sure. Benicio Del Toro has the girl. Josh Brolin's hunting them, um, despite not wanting to hunt them down. And yet somehow, for some... Okay, so you ha- so Benicio del Toro like knows that Josh Brolin's going to find him, so mm-hmm. he activates the tracker that that Josh Brolin gave him and puts it into the girl's shoes, yep. so he'll know where she is the entire time. And so, the, so they decide to go across the border. And again, this is part of the movie that makes you wonder: again, is this intentional or is it just stupid filmmaking? Because, like, again, we're led to believe that Benicio Del Toro is this expert of the border, yet he takes, again, like Rob says, he goes to a coyote depot mm-hmm. to, to smuggle them across the border. Like, I would imagine Benicio Del Toro knows all the spots. He wouldn't need to go. Like he would, Again, the less attention he brings to himself, considering that he has the daughter of a major cartel kingpin, the better. Mm-hmm. It's like he's inviting trouble by going to these people. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, abso- absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> so I don't know why he would sit there and do that. Again, like, why even – I don't know. Maybe the, maybe that's a part of the film that's just not laid out, that the border is like this jigsaw puzzle or this Rubik's Cube that's just constantly changing, and the coyotes know the best routes. Like Just because a route works one day mm-hmm. doesn't mean it'll work the next day. Um, but again – I would imagine that Benicio del Toro would have a better understanding of border patrol sweeping patterns than coyotes would. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I, maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm being the wrong one here, and I'm building Benicio del Toro's character up a little too much. Maybe he's not this Terminator esque character that can anticipate every move before it happens. I don't know, but again, the first movie definitely builds him up to be that way. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think I agreed with you in our review of the first one. I definitely got that sense, and that, that's exactly why I had the thought before that this 
this might, you know, work better as a prequel and kind of him getting to that stage. But like we said, you know, it isn't. Um, no, I mean, I completely agree with you. Uh, the, the story is, is, is weak for sure at a, at a, at a lot of these junctures. Do you want to keep going with the Coyote Depot? Okay, so he goes to Coyote Depot. Uh, the kid recognizes him. They corner him on the, on the bus. And they, uh, they, they, they corner him. They take the daughter away from him. Despite the fact that the daughter cries, like, everybody knows who the daughter is. And this is a daughter to a drug kingpin that literally nobody, the, the U.S. government does not even know where this this cartel kingpin's um, location is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet everybody in Mexico knows his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, Again, whatever. Uh, maybe she's big on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so, so you have that. Everybody knows who she is, and everybody figures, oh, we have a cartel kingpin's daughter. Clearly, if we rescue her, we'll be in favor with the cartel. Again, this kingpin. Okay, mm-hmm. so they take they take the daughter away from Benicio del Toro. They ask her, "Is this guy protecting you?" She says, "Yes," and they're like, "Kill him!" And again, I don't. Again, um, I'm not an expert on the cartels, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that if the daughter of a cartel kingpin said, "This man is protecting me." If this man was again, forget the fact. Obviously, Benicio del Toro was not the custodian of this or the cartel kingpin sanctioned custodian yeah. of his daughter. If that, if word ever got back that you interfered with something like this, like your entire operation would be wiped out overnight. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. So the fact that they just their knee jerk reaction is just to immediately kill him is like again. It makes me wonder how much research was done on how the cartel operates. Yeah, I, I mean that I, could that could totally be the case. Um, I, I I'm not remembering it exactly, uh, but I, I think one of the questions at that point in the movie that I had, or, or the thought that I had that I don't think the film made clear, uh, was the the cartel or the people that these coyotes the cartel the cartel these coyotes were working for were these members of the cartel that the U.S. government was supposedly framing? Because if that's the case. Then of course they'd want to kill Benicio del Toro and steal the girl, but I think like what you said is accurate because they say something like, "Oh, we can get a reward for returning yeah. her." It, it would make more sense if they were the enemies and they were like, "Great, we caught these people. It's our turn to retaliate," or something like that. Well, that, again, yeah, I don't know because again, the movie does not like. Again, this is where I the movie doesn't lay any of this out. Like the movie mm-hmm. does not lay anything out the way it should. Like, and I think, again, why Sicario works, the first one, is that it's such a basic plot. It's not concerned about cartel, oh god, uh, hierarchy and how they work. Mm-hmm. It's the story of, the, uh, of America lowering its values in order to fight evil. Yes. It's, it's America getting its hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And that's the, you can sum up the first movie just like that. It's the corruption of American ideals in, in an Emily Blunt. <laughs> and this movie has that. It's stuff happens that really is not laid out properly, and its execution isn't much better. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like again, even, so we'll, we'll, so okay, so we have that they kidnap the girl, or I get the, the 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 coyotes kidnap the girl, and they bring Benicio del Toro. And I think don't they bring somebody else there to execute as well? Um, aren't, two, aren't two people shot in the face, or is it just him? No, oh, uh, oh they, they the, the first, the yeah, the, the, the first yeah. kid who doesn't want to do the execution. I remember I was sitting in the theater, 
and they give the gun to some character we've never seen, and they're yeah. like, kill Benicio Del Toro, and I'm like, well, this isn't happening. And then as soon as the kid puts the gun down, and he's like, I can't do it, I'm like, oh my god, well, that's a rookie I'm, mistake. <laughs> well, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think what they're trying, because if you realize, the first, we never get a clear... We don't get any sort of clear definition of the first kid. I think they're trying to imply that was our our, our Silvio 2.0. I think we're not supposed to know that it's a second kid. Maybe, again, maybe I just read the situation wrong. But we're meant to believe, oh, wait, this is Silvio 2.0. And he can't do it. He gets, and it's supposed to be a shock value. Yeah, and then when yeah. the, the head coyote goes over to the, to the kids, like, oh, here, kid. And it's supposed to be like a fake out. I think that's I get I think that's what they were going for. Oh yeah, I, I definitely absolutely I think what they were going for. Um it but it's just like if anybody tells you to kill someone else and you well, don't yeah. do it, you're just asking to die. I feel like what didn't I do that in our Jurassic World episode? I said if you do something you're asking to die. Well, it's kinda <laughs> like it's kinda like it's like kinda like when you ask uh you find out that you're like you're what, what, what was the guy, what was Guy McFace's relation to Lockwood in Jurassic World? What was his relation? Was there any relation? A- employee. <laughs> well, when you find out that your employee is like, a, <laughs> like, like a cloning dinosaurs in the basement of your mansion, and you tell them, "Here's the phone. Call the police to turn yourself in." And there's a pillow very conspicuously placed on top of a stool under the the, the phone. Um, I feel it's the uh, Sicario cartel equivalent of that. Um, yeah. Call the police. It's kind of like if you if somebody hands you a gun to execute someone and you refuse to do it, it's kind of like telling the person that just committed a heinous crime to call the police on themselves. Chances are you're going to be the one who dies when uh, everything hits the fan. Yeah. Okay. Good. Zach remembered. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. These people in these movies are making some poor decisions when they're faced I- with. For death, cir- life or death circumstances. <laughs> I think Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic World Two, Boogaloo, and Sicario, and Sicario Two: Day of the Soldado would be a fantastic uh, quadruple feature, like a back-to-back double feature. <laughs> and like, like how to how to like uh, take in. Oh God, okay. The first Jurassic World is kind of garbage, so it's kind of hard to do it there. But like, how to take like like a. Uh, a crowd pleasing premise and just throw it out the window. Yes, yes. <laughs> so going back for like the seventh time now, going back to a Benicio del Toro being shot in the face, and so the kids handed the gun. Benicio del Toro's like wrapped like in a pillowcase, like duct tape, like a pillowcase around his head. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid like shoots him in the face, and we're like, "What?" And so I, I think that's that's my question. Were you like what? Because it is clear he 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 got shot through the cheek. Like it's obvious. I think in the scene where he gets shot, when they show the hole and they do like the the focus, the focus switches from like you know Miguel Silvio 3.0 holding the gun and and Benicio del Toro on the ground. Like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, he's alive. He got shot in the cheek. Like he's gonna bleed I, for a little bit and then he's gonna be fine. No, I didn't know that because okay. I, 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 I didn't. That was my big question. What was what was your thoughts on that? I, when I saw it. I was like, well, fuck, he's gonna live because he didn't get shot through the fucking brain. <laughs> well, well, with anything, okay, I, I'll give them some. I'll, I'll be fair with this one. Is that if somebody <laughs> shoot, if you get shot anywhere in your head, in a general head area, I would imagine there's a very slim chance you'll be able to live through that. That's a. Uh, are you saying that that's like the movie rule type of thing? That's like what we should expect for a movie. Because that is certainly not the case in real life. 
It's no, like ninety percent of the people who try and shoot themselves just blow their nose off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or yeah, I know. Or they yeah, they shoot and miss themselves and increase yeah, yeah. all oh, of them. Doesn't doesn't Ted Levine do that in one of the Hills of Eyes movies? Doesn't he fail at killing himself? We're getting connections, Zach. <laughs> oh God! Oh oh oh. I'm trying to think now. Does that? I think that happened. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Something happens because because Ted Levine is in one of the Hills of Eyes movies, right? Yeah, he's in the, he's in the remake. Yes. De- oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm talking. I about haven't the I haven't seen that movie like in like in like ten years. So I, have to, I saw I that know, with a girlfriend, and it was a poor decision. <laughs> Can't oh, I think the mood. Never. I think that's the greatest decision. <laughs> he was Big Bob Carter in the Hills of Eyes. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I know. Just, I know uh, something like that happens. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I know what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, so I, I saw that scene, and I, I, it wasn't really a shock to me. But that was why I wanted to get your opinion. And you know, um, you said you already said that the kind of reaction during the theater when he's alive was more of the to the gore, not really to the oh my god he's alive, you know. But but I yeah, I was just looking for another opinion because I, I thought it, you know I noticed that. Well, I think uh, some of it too comes to things like okay, they're not going to kill. Like this is Benicio del Toro's thing now. Like, they've made him the, like in the first film, Emily yeah. Blunt's the main character, and him and Josh Brolin are off to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even say Benicio del Toro is a quasi antagonist of that film, and in this, he's clearly a protagonist. He's clearly like Josh Brolin's a little bit more. Like I said, I think they are very gray in that film. Their definition of gray, they're right in the middle of the first film. In yeah, this, they're, cl- yeah. they're both clearly good guys. Like, I think that's the weird thing. Like, this movie took two morally ambiguous characters and made them good guys at the end of it. And again, <laughs> you rob the characters. Again, it's the homogenization of, of something that's interesting. Um, we'll get into that later on when we talk sure. about Thomas the Tank Engine. But that's one thing <laughs> I absolutely hate with any sort of media or anything in life. The homogenization of something—you take a, you take an interesting concept, mm-hmm. and you just make it like everything else. Like I, 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 again, that, that, I think that's the ultimate crime that any that humanity could ever do is take something unique and just assimilate it. Okay. okay. Um, it's kind of like it's it's the Mr. Smith dilemma from the Matrix. It's the whole idea of just, yeah, like, assimilation's yeah. the worst. Homogenization and assimilation is just the worst thing you can do with anything. Um, and, and I think that's just what it is. They make him a good guy. It's like, they're mm-hmm. both good at the end of the film. You took these two uh, morally ambiguous characters and you made them good guys. And it's like, what yeah. be? Di- I, and I think and I know at the end of the movie with uh, with uh, oh, okay. Well, before we get to the very end of the film with Benicio del Toro, um, I think there's another weird line of dialogue in the movie. It was like uh, the coyote hands the takes the gun away from the first kid who doesn't shoot uh, Benicio del Toro. It's like, and you want to be a Sicario? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, what? What is that established? That somebody? What? Wait, you're smugglers. Since when do smugglers become hitmen? Uh, when was uh, that established? Uh, that that uh, might just be their training ground for that cartel. Who knows? <laughs> I guess that I guess that's a, a job job promotion. You go from being a smuggler to a hitman. Yeah, it's like the it's like the mail room. That's where you start as as a coyote. <laughs> I guess you become a hitman. And so yeah. it's like, it's like, so you want to be a Sicario? It's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Again, it's complete. It's, it's, what would you call it? It's a payoff without any sort of setup. setup? Yeah. Yeah. They don't set it up at all, at all in the slightest. Um, before, before we get to, uh, after, uh, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about before or right after Benicio del Toro gets shot before the reveal that he's alive occurs. 
we get to see Josh Brolin's reaction to Benicio del Toro being dead. I think he actually sees him get shot or something. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I got a boner person goes, he's like trying to get Josh Brolin's attention. And Josh Brolin is just like staring into the distance while in the helicopter. I thought it went on comically long. I thought it was actually funny how long Josh Brolin didn't respond for. Did, did you did that stand out to you at all? How long it took for him to, to respond? And when he does respond, he goes, "Fuck it all." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, you might you might have to insert that clip here. I know that line, but I do not, I did not pick up on the, uh, I know the part, like you said, where, uh, uh, I got a boner guy mm-hmm. is like, I'm glad we didn't have to do it. Yeah. But, but I don't remember there being a comically long silence. I did not. Cause I think at that point in the film, I was trying to figure out what they were trying to do. Cause I thought maybe they were good. I guess again, I think if you kill Benicio, like Rob already stated, um, if you kill the character off, mm-hmm. I think you may, again, it's, it's ret- retroactive setup. Um, yeah. In that, in that, you say, okay, Benicio del Toro is this killing machine. Um, he has uh, inquenchable, or uh, oh my god, um, yeah, inquen- what inquenchable? That'd be the right word. Yeah, yeah. Inquenchable thirst for revenge, and the only way he can find some sort of peace is through the protection of this girl, mm-hmm. and or or, the, or death through the protection of, I guess, innocence. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Again, if you show again, I think again during the scene where the daughter is beating up another girl at the Catholic school. If you had the inverse of that, if you had the daughter be the non-aggressive one, yeah. I think it would have made it more sympathetic. Like, okay, this daughter is going to be better than her, than her father. She is going to mm-hmm. rise above what her father is, and by showing her this act of kindness, again, it's I know I, Rob. Saw, you saw Looper, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It'd be the thing like in Looper. It's been around before, um, the story where it's like, okay, this act of kindness of not killing this child or uh, Mm -hmm. perpetuating the cycle of violence. Yeah, they break the cycle. Yeah. It's like that can change the world. Like like in in Looper, you don't – again, the Rainmaker doesn't exist when Joseph Gordon-Levitt decides to kill himself preventing – Bruce Willis from murdering Emily Blunt. Once again, Emily Blunt's in here for some reason. He's kind of <laughs> off as a peripheral character. And you stop the cycle of violence. Like, that mm-hmm. I would get. Like, Benicio Del Toro realized, not realizes, but, like, by protecting this kind of, like, innocence, he might be able to give the future a brighter day. And yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, no. Like, this girl, we don't, we never have a moment in this film where this girl kind of has any sort of self-reflection and yeah, realizes they, they just have an attachment. They just again, it's a fact. I don't again. She again, he sees her again. This because it's because the script tells us 
He yeah. sees his daughter and her, and she feels protected because he's in, she's now been dragged into this insane world, and Benicio Del Toro is the only thing keeping her from death. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And so I think if he would have died in that scene, and that's where, again, I, that's why I didn't pick up the scene, the, the comical silence like Rob did, was that I figured, oh, maybe they are going to actually kill him because that would make sense. Like, you kill him off, and uh, he, it's a sacrifice. It's like, oh, okay. And you let Josh Brolin do, I don't know what they're going to I have Lord, no idea what they're going to do for a third one of these. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's <laughs> yeah, checked out for a third one. <laughs> like I said, I want Josh Brolin, like, not Josh Brolin, I want a Trevorrow to come in and ride the third one. And that, I want to see that. <laughs> um, maybe BCL Del Toro can ride the Velociraptor. Now that, that, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I want that. Yeah, uh, so you have that, and it's like fine, whatever. And so, like, I remember I, it's funny, I kind of how the context around these movies kind of ruins it. I remember some, in one of the reviews I read, it was like, Oh, like Benicio del Toro has finally found his franchise. I'm like, well, clearly, it can't be a franchise, he's only in two of these, and he dies, so he's coming back. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, guess, yeah. I, I think again, not to take everything away from this movie, but like when he is shot in the face and he's bleeding out into the sand. Um, I think I think that's effective cinema, much like how mm-hmm. in Jurassic World, where you have the uh, dinosaur on on the dock being burned alive, and yeah. you see the uh, ashy silhouette of it being consumed by the lava. Yep. Um, it, it's it's it, not I want to say it's heart wrenching, but it's definitely seen again bleeding out of his face. I, I think you know Rob plays that off as uh, of common common circumstance, people getting shot in the face and just <laughs> walking it off. <laughs> uh, I think that is something that if most people had to go through. They would not be able to handle it as well as Benicio del Toro did. Yeah, so I, I, th- I think the depiction of it was realistic. Like certainly, if you get blown, he doesn't get just shot through the cheek. Getting shot through the cheek would be different. He does get shot through the upper jaw. Like that's certainly gonna knock you out for hours, as it does to him. I think the portrayal of how it handled was realistic. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's entirely reasonable for him to live through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, and it's also it works on. I'm not care. Again, Rob has to suck the fun everything by applying like real, real world. Again, Rob has to suck everything but the real life element to it. Whereas, <laughs> as long as it works on a cinematic level, I'm I, I'm fine with it. Again, Jurassic World, certain scenes work, but like again, that works. You get shot through the face. I, yep. it's, it's a gruesome scene, but it works for what they're going for. So mm-hmm. I'm, it works fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And again, but then we go right into that, and obviously, like Rob said, we'll start the clip again of Josh Brolin saying ethics. I think that's just con- now that he brought it up, that is a funny line. Yeah, uh, uh, I got a boner is like, what do we do now? And Josh Brolin doesn't say anything for like forty seconds, and then he goes, "Fuck it all." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, all right. Uh, I so I was hoping at that point he would just be like airstrike right on that little canyon they shot Benicio Del Toro in. Like, just blow everybody up there. Like, who cares if the little girl was there? Airstrike. That's what I thought but, he was going to do. After but he that's, but again, the movie doesn't understand how the language of cinema works. Because yes. he says that, he's in, like, a Black Hawk helicopter, and there's like another one flying around with him. And when <laughs> you hear, after, again, thinking about what they did in the first movie, after the, hum, the, the Bizarro Extraction Jackson... It's like you figured that would be his next move. Mm-hmm. No. They chase down the coyotes. They mow them down. Yet somehow, completely, they mow everybody down in these vehicles. Yet somehow miss the, the girl. Yeah. yeah. Again, I don't know how that works. And they take her. And uh, I got a boner guy is like, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. He's like, witness protection program. Yeah. And that's his yeah. last line of dialogue for the entire film. Yep, yep, oh yeah. He yells, witness protection program <laughs> at I Got a Boner Guy, and that's his last line of dialogue for the entire film. What are you doing? 
It's like, like what? Yeah, that it's... that that was uh, basically everything near at that point of the movie. Everything that wasn't what the hell is Benicio del Toro doing while he has a bullet hole through his face? I was like, I don't care. Like that's what I wanted more of at that point. Once the reveal that he was alive, I wanted to see him throw a grenade in more cars. To be honest, that was well. That was that's awesome. Well, that's... Well, the the, tra- the trailer gave that away because I think that was in the tra- that was in a lot of the commercials. Because it's worth noting that I saw a ton of commercials for this over the last like uh, okay, okay week, and that was in every single commercial. He's driving in the car. He pulls out the grenade. He pulls the pin out of the grenade and lobs into the car. I but I was I was really I really enjoyed like it was a of you know um, Benicio del Toro driving in his car and the other car drives past him in the opposite direction. It like turns around. It's it's a, a lot of it is one big take, right? Yeah, but that's that could be fake though. Like, like to me, ever since oh, oh sure, yeah, they fake it. Whether or not they did it for real, they faked it. It looks like one long shot, and it looks good. I liked that. I no. really enjoyed. Okay, it. tangent, tangent, tangent. Um, I was okay. Going back to my time in uh, uh, school and studying with uh, film, cinema, mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, the long take has always been worshipped as like the be all end all because it required immaculate pract- or uh, immaculate precision. And sure, uh, yeah. like, tireless, tedious uh, uh, practice. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, detail. Yeah. Yes, and so like again, we'll get into this when we talk about Halloween in October. But it's like certain scene, like the opening scene of Halloween is a perfect example of that. And I'm not sure if Rob knows the backstory behind. It. Like they had to sit there, like that, like I, like they interview people who were involved with that. Like in the amount of just like effort, like they were like running around, like they were pulling up like wires. They were like the insane amount of effort. They were turning out lights real quick. Mm-hmm. Like again, the amount of effort that goes into doing a long take. Oh yeah, absolutely. Prior to computers was like again like Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Yep. Um, but again, like ever since Birdman. The long take has been, and it's been going on before Birdman. Mm-hmm. But Birdman ruined the long take for movies for me. I think it ruined it for cinema at large, but really for me, because you can do everything through a freaking computer. Like I, I, I know a lot of music videos do this now, where like they'll try to pretend it's a long take, and oh, I yeah, know where the, sure. I, I know where the scenes are. It's like I, I can show you. Like, one day we're gonna do. We're not gonna do Birdman because I hate that film. <laughs> um, it, that is a definition of an embarrassing Best Picture winner. Definition, like it's embarrassing that film won any awards. But anyway, like it's so obvious to see. Like that's why long takes now mean nothing to me. It's like it's stupid. Um, I could do a, if I had the same technology, I could do a long take. Yeah, um, it yeah. requires no effort. I remember again going back to like Gravity, which I know Rob laughed at during the summer when we saw it in front of every movie preview. Um, I remember <laughs> yeah. everyone was like, everyone's like, the first twenty minutes of Gravity is a long take. I'm like, the entire movie is in a computer. Yeah. Like, by that logic, <laughs> Toy Story is one long take. Mm-hmm. It's in a computer. The camera never stops. Um, there is no camera. You can't have a long take if there's no camera. And and I think and again, that's not a hearing. Long takes are stupid. Uh, anybody listening at home, and this also applies to Rob. Um, long takes mean nothing. They are garbage now because they are so easy to do. I, um, I so I. I I'm glad I know that. I'm glad I know that opinion of yours. Um, but uh, the way I'm entirely coming at this is, it. I, I think I, I can't remember where I said it, uh, but I know I said it in some recording of ours. Literally everything we do is waiting to die. I don't care if they didn't do it with a camera. I don't care if long takes are ruined. I sat down in this movie. I saw this scene. I liked it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I don't. I didn't pick up on seams. I don't really like. I said I don't care if it's with a computer or not. Um, but I enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed it. I, I'm sorry that you have this notion of long takes that makes you not like it. I, I have tons of preconceived notions like that as well, but, you know, I enjoyed it, Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should, though. You should, <laughs> This is kind of thing. I know Rob likes his smoking pipes. Imagine what you, Imagine if you have a smoking pipe, that one that's crafted by a human being for, like, like 72 hours of non-consecutive work. Then you have one that's, that's uh, the exact same one that's printed out of a, a machine in, in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the exact same thing. One requires an insane amount of effort and talent, artistry, and the other is just crapped out. It, and that's what it comes down to. And the problem is that you have – where Rob's at least admitting that he, he likes the inferior version, um, there are people out there and, and, and there's professional film critics out there that um, should know the difference mm-hmm. and don't and applaud the uh, lazy the lazy version of it. Yeah, that that I have a a, a bigger issue with, you know, be, because I think when when you get into a craft, uh, absolutely, you know, everyone's going to have their opinions or maybe not their opinions, but there will be a standard of that field for you know what takes the talent, what takes the the attention to detail, like we've been saying with. Do we get it with a computer or do we get it with, you know, actually putting the time in? Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. You know, it always comes down to that. Uh, it, it's because we have computers, you know. Wouldn't in the 40s or 50s before computers, people would have been like, oh, my God, it would be amazing if I could just pump this out in 15 minutes. So it's a, it's a, it's a time thing, I think, as well. And that, that kind of leads me to my opinion of I don't give a fuck. I don't care how it's created in the finished product. Do I like it or not? That's what I'm looking at. And, and you're the reason why we we can't have nice things. <laughs> no, On top it. of the fact that you're the reason why kids are eating Tide Pods, you're the reason why we can't have nice things in, in movies anymore. <laughs> and for the record, I did not I did not pick up on this long take. I did not. I I, I know there's. I, I know I can think of one moment during that sequence, but uh, I did not pick up on it as uh, anything. I, I don't even remember it. Other than maybe one small portion of it, okay, that was okay. it. And it's the grenade. It's the grenade. Him lobbing. He yeah, got yeah. the camera spinning around in the green uh, SUV, and um, he pulls the grenade out uh, or pulls the pin out and lobs it into the other car. And it's mm-hmm. one thing too. Is Mexico just a wild, wild west? Where it's just like I think like he's just driving down the road, and another car just <laughs> sees him. It's like we're gonna steal this car while this man drives it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're basically out in the middle of the desert. Where there's one road, that, that's where they found, you know, in this drive to Mexico. <laughs> and they have like, and the two kids have like Uzis. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are just ready to. They're packing Arms heat, the ready to, ready to shoot some people. They, they run across in the desert. <laughs> oh man. Oh so, Bob. Okay, before we get to that point, though, where uh, Josh Brolin mows down the uh, coyotes, mm-hmm. um, uh, Silvio 2.0 just arbitrarily jumps out of, out of the truck. Uh, well, that I that I makes perfect sense. He just killed somebody. Like, I don't know. Uh, can you say that if you murdered someone for the first time, you'd want to be around people? Can you really no, say but, that? No, but at the same time, though, there's a way of doing it. it doesn't feel like the script told him to do it. Uh, yes, I, I would agree with you on that one. Um, but you know, I I, uh, I I think that's that's the difference of seeing here. Is like like I said, I was just ready to go. I was just ready to strap in for this movie. Uh, whereas, you know, Jurassic World, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be stupid. This one, I was much more just like, I'm going to see it. You know? I, I think that's where a lot of my, my stance is coming from. Or at least, maybe not my stance, but where I don't have as uh, vehement opinions as you do about some of these features. <laughs> I guess I don't, again, it's worth noting that I only got back, only got into the Sicario bandwagon like in April. 
Like, this is not like, again, like, or even like a masterpiece like Jurassic Park where it's like, oh, it's this thing that's like, like uh, I've, I've thought about for years. This is a movie that I completely forgot about for two years until it was on FX one afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh-huh. And then, like, it just, again, it clicked. And, I, and again, I think, again, oh, God, underappreciated. And I, I, even, I rewatched, I know I talked about in our Sicario recording, I, I referred to uh, Blade Runner 2049 as a chocolate bunny mm-hmm. filled with, uh, filled with uh, marshmallow fluff. Yeah. Uh, I, I, again, I think I was unfair to that movie. Because as I rewatched it again, I, again, Blade Runner has its own prize, its own problems. But at least it, it's trying to trend in a more interesting place. Okay. And so I, I think Denis Villeneuve, I, I know I still have to see uh, Enemy and Arrival. But from what I've seen of him, between Sicario and Blade Runner 2049, I would definitely like to see what he does next. But Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I, I would he, as well. Was he even a producer on this? Did he have his fingers in this at all? No, I don't think he was involved, like, in the slightest. Um, it, it really seemed like he kind of departed from it in what I read. You could say that he retired from the Sicario business. <laughs> yeah. that's, a Blade, that's a Blade Runner reference. <laughs> yeah so yeah we'll see we'll see what he does uh because that other stuff is is certainly great i mean no enemy of course is i think the my favorite thing i've seen by him arrival you can skip unless you just you know want to love want to watch a love story you can watch anything and get a love story um yeah we'll, we'll see uh is there anything sa- said about the people who are going to be involved with the third sicario any any uh, people yet the Italian man said that he's not involved. He, he doesn't want to direct the third one. Okay, okay. So there's a, there's a chance that they might get Trevorrow involved. Well, if it comes out after Jurassic World, maybe. Oh. <laughs> okay, when's Jurassic World slated for? Next weekend? <laughs> oh, we can only hope. <laughs> We're getting one a weekend for the next ten years. <laughs> oh, man. We could just do the Dinosaur Podcast. No, uh, okay, so uh, something else that I wanted to ask you about one of the scenes we were talking about, uh, because it relates to our Jurassic World discussion. So uh, we had uh, Chris Pratt being paralyzed, trying to contort his body and wriggle around in the dirt, which, of course, we brought up Wolf of Wall Street. We get that to some extent from Benicio Del Toro when he's tied up, when he wakes up from the gunshot. So what did you think about his, Benicio Del Toro's body movements in this movie? Were they, were well, they more acceptable than Chris Pratt's? Well, Benicio Del Toro is an actual real actor, not just uh, a hero man. <laughs> That's exactly but, what I thought you were going to say. Zach. Well, Chris, I, guess I, I, I know Rob does not like Chris Pratt. Um, I do. I, I think Chris Pratt is a, 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 a he has a commanding screen presence, but he's by no means uh, he's not. Again, he's 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 an actor. Like he's an actor. He has a good time. Um, Chris Pratt's never going to win an Oscar for best for best actor. He's he, that, that's just not something he he can do. That's not within his range. No, like I said, Benicio del Toro's an actor. Like he's an actor okay. with a capital A. Yeah, I, I agree. This one I didn't find cringy. You know, like the the Chris Pratt run. I was just like, oh my god. You know, this is weird to look at. This uh, I. You know, I felt it all mixed well together. The camera angle when he first wakes up, the camera's like right on the ground. You know, just kind of across from his head. Uh, you get all the gore and the, and the blood congealed sand stuff falling off of his face and and his wriggling and and breathing. I thought it all it worked well together for sure. That was absolutely my favorite uh, scene and sequence in the movie. Like I mentioned before, like when he wakes back up again after being shot and he does his whole you know I gotta survive. I gotta get out of here. I gotta throw a grenade in a car. And then even at the at the 
kind of near the end. He, you know, he runs off the road and hits a fence, and he just kind of like wakes himself back up and goes back driving. I really liked that. That I really thought that was a nice touch to this film. <laughs> oh, Benicio. Oh, yes. But then, well, I think the only thing I have left that I want to talk about is the absolute end of the movie. Do you have anything before that, that one year later time jump? Well, I think it's also this one thing. When Josh Brolin and the Eye of a Boner guy show up and mow down the coyotes, mm -hmm. um, they mow down uh, Silvio 2.0's cousin yes. and the, the, the coyote guy like leader, and you really wouldn't even know it. It's just like there's mow down, that's it. Like I'm, I wasn't even sure it was still the cousin driving the car. It's just oh, that's a good point. Because I, I, I know they do like they do a shot of the dead coyote leader, but the cousin like he gets like cause I know that's when he's one he's the first one that shot when they shoot the green SUV, mm -hmm. and it's just that he's just you don't even get a shot of him being killed. You don't even see a shot of him dying or just a dead body. It's just he's killed and it's, it's yeah. very. Yeah. Oh, can I, it, very matter of fact. Okay, they just wiped them out again. Like I said, they even again when Josh Brolin and his cronies show up. Like that's a that's a cool scene. Like, again, they surround the, the 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 green SUV and the white pickup truck. Oh, and the they helicopter. got the hell yeah. The helicopter lands on the on the highway or the road or whatever. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's cool. Like, that's cool. But again, it's it's fine. Again, they save the girl for no real reason because witness protection program. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck it all. <laughs> Oh man! Josh yeah, Brolin has some great one line, like some terrifically bad one liners in this. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, it's it's, it's fun to listen to. <laughs> All right, proceed with your very end of the film. Oh, okay. So the the last thing we get in this movie, um, we go back to the mall where Miguel, like, I don't know, gets gets his assignments or his money or something. It's never really explained that he has to like go to like a um a chicken restaurant in the well, fast food of a. It's the same one from the beginning of the, uh, the film where the cousin goes in. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. It's the same, you know, it's the same mall that, like, he runs into Benicio Del Toro at. Like, it's the same setting. So he goes back there, but it's a year later. He's all tatted up. He's got his neck tattoos. He's full-on cartel member. He goes into the chicken joint. He steals a French fry. That's important because now he thinks he's the boss of the chicken joint. He can steal one French fry. Steal a whole fucking boat. If I was in a cartel and I had neck tattoos, I'd be stealing a whole boat of French fries, okay? Uh, I anyway. I think that's worth pointing out that Silvio 2.0 looks like he's 11. Yes. Yeah, he really and so So you see him with all these, like, like all these tattoos and, like, eyeliner. It's comical. It's comical. Yeah. <laughs> because it is only a year later. that it is. We do get the little title card at the yeah. bottom right, which is, like, I thought it was somewhat difficult to notice. Um, but, you know, one year later, so this kid's now 12 and a full-on gang member. What happens? He opens the door to his chicken joint, and Benicio Del Toro's there. And I'm like, fucking shoot him. I'm like, Benicio Del Toro, murder someone in this mall. But no, he's like, so you want to be a Sicario? Let's talk about your future. And that is that was when I was like, should have shot him. That was I, I really did not like that about this movie. I think he just should have cold blood and murder him and credit should have rolled. That's what I don't I didn't like the whole like why has he even, has he even know he's the one who shot him? He was blindfolded or pillowcased with duct tape. It would have had to been through torturing other people. I was literally about to say torturing other people that were there, <laughs> but Josh Brolin killed all of them. Good question. Uh, he is. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. He's 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 uh, Benicio Rob, Rob, is Rob. Sicario from the future, in, or Rob, from the I don't Rob. know. <laughs> Rob, repeat, repeat after me. 
Because the script told him to. Because this, Well, yeah, of course, because the script told him to. Um, but he should have shot him. I, I would have been much happier if he just shot him. I could have overlooked that loophole a little bit more if he just cold-blooded murdered this 12-year-old with neck tattoos in a mall. I would have been much happier. <laughs> I, good- I, <laughs> I, I checked out at that point. I, 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 at that point, it's like, you know what, whatever. I, that's not, at that point, like, it kind of all, like, you know, Benicio del Toro's gonna live. Mm-hmm. And so the kid, the, the kid's comical. Like, he, like, whoever did the makeup did not do a convincing job. Um, I know they want, like, I, I know I already said that you should show, not tell when it comes to things like that. Yeah. yeah. But, like, you should sit there, you should see, like, like oh, God. Again, see people working for him, something like that, though. Maybe they should have cast an, an older actor. Because again, the kid looks twelve, and like he yeah, has all these comically like again tattoos. I know and, and that's the eyeliner. That they try and oversell it. Like uh, even if they kept an older actor, would have been fine. You know, older actor with that get up, no problem. It's believable. Uh, if they should have kept it, you know, as in like a transition, because the whole movie we see this kid with like you know with a little jacket and his backpack, like he's going to school and shit like that, and then just immediately we see him first thing in the one year cut. And he's got, you know, rings, he's got bling, he's got tattoos all over, he's got tattoo sleeves, he's got his hair slicked back. Like, maybe one or two tattoos on the arm and the slicked back hair, we would have got the idea. Like, but they tried to oversell it with the 12-year-old and it looks ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) There's really nothing more to add at that point. Like, I don't know where they go with the sequel from here. Uh, it, I, it's like I, I don't want it. It's like unless it's again, I probably see see how stupid it'll get. Yeah, I want them. I want them to uh, to go out like just a complete off the wall. That'd be great, like full absurdity. Um, but yeah, who knows? We don't have any info, right? I couldn't find any info on any news of the third one. Just that it's going to happen, supposedly. Well, yeah. Well, it's, I don't even think it's been greenlit. It's just they want is whoever owns the rights for this one. Ah, uh, okay. Want, okay. Think, and that's it. Okay, I think it's to depend on the money this thing makes because I don't think yeah. I don't I don't think this is going to grow the audience because I don't think it's a it's it's not it's not a like if the first one was like a John Wick this is not a John Wick two where it grows the universe and ends on a cliffhanger I think this is a very I don't want to say it ties up things nicely but it definitely doesn't end with like a huge cliffhanger like oh John Wick is now been excommunicated from this world that he inhabits and everybody's now going to kill him within the next hour. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's like, there's no massive, like what's going to happen next. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think, you, I think you need that because there's really no consequences. Like a uh, Kathleen Keener is never going to know that the girl was saved. She's just going to yeah. go missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Catherine, uh, Catherine Keener doesn't know the girl was saved. Uh, the girl doesn't even know that Benicio del Toro is alive. It doesn't Graver not even know that Benicio del Toro is alive? Like what the yeah? What the hell are they gonna do in the third one? Uh, it's gonna be mean? it's gonna be like four pages of text of exposition before the movie starts. Well, Just, I, well yeah, <laughs> it's well, gonna I be think... the one shot comic put at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would imagine if, if I had to guess, uh, putting my hack screenwriter cap on, that the third one's gonna be something on the lines of that uh, Benicio del Toro recruits the kid. And they're going to start. They're they're going to start causing havoc for the CIA. They're going to bring. They're going to bring the fight to the U.S. Mm. Will, all, the previous two films all take place in Mexico. They're now going to bring the fight to the U.S. That's that's yeah. what I think it's going to be. Yeah, I'm going to put my hopeful screenwriter cap on and say that the third movie will be called Sicario: Colon Fiji. 
And if that's going to be all the whole, f- it's not even going to, it's not even going to have Benicio del Toro in it. It's just going to be I got a boner, man, talking about Fiji or go, doing the mission in Fiji. That's what I think. It is. <laughs> There's one thing about this movie we forgot to bring up. Ooh, what? The first time the kid uh, smuggles the people across the river. And like, oh! they bring, like, all the people, yeah, uh, uh, uh. I remember. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and all the the migrants like, are, are told to be put on a truck, and like there's a guy there waiting for him. It's like, good job, kid. The person in the van will bring you home, and mm-hmm. the van is just like completely pitch black, dark. And keep in mind, this is like two in the morning or like three in the morning. Everything's dark outside. It's a pitch black, dark van, and it's and they play it so ominously. Yeah, and he like slow, and the music comes up. And like he like slowly approaches the van, the lights turn on the car. It, it's a blonde, like think of the most like whitest soccer mom you can think of with a baby in the back seat. <laughs> Hi, hon. Where are you going? Oh man! And I know it's supposed <laughs> to be like a cover subterfuge. So if somebody stops him, no one's gonna know that he's like involved with any of this. But like, oh my god, it's so comical. Oh, it is. It is. And the yeah, woman brings her baby. That. It's like, like imagine if you're a cop and you stop them and you see a soccer mom in a minivan in the middle of the night with her baby and like a Mexican kid. It's like, what? Like, that'd, be the, like, that'd be the person I would stop. Absolutely. I think that baby is just like an animatronic that has different compartments for drugs in it. <laughs> you had the drugs in the baby. They had the drugs in the baby. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, like the more I think about this movie, like I, I was like before we recorded, like we started recording, I was like on the fence of like, okay, I don't particularly like it, but it's something different. Um, as now that I've kind of uh, laid it out, I have to say I don't like this film. I think I think I don't want to say it's it's not horrible, but I I want to say it's it's serviceable, borderline bad. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I, I, you know, like I said, it's completely different from the first one. Um, the first one I don't hold in such high regard as Zach does. I definitely liked the first one. You know, it was an interesting movie. Got me, got me thinking. Um, this one, you know, like I said before, much more of a strap in, on for the ride, see some action, turn off your brain movie, that type of thing. And, you know, that, that might have been part of my pitfall is actually going into it thinking that, you know, just I'm ready for whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, I'll, I'm going to check it out again. I'm going to see it again. I'm going to watch the first one again, too, eventually. Uh, and we'll we'll see how it goes on a second viewing. Uh, you think this will be $5 in Target right off the bat? Uh, <laughs> probably not. Seven? Seven fifty? dollars I don't know. This could be – I wouldn't be surprised. Probably $10. Okay, okay. One, I can get two of the first one. one. Se- the price of one season of Law & Order on DVD. <laughs> Oh, I just have to hope someone else can give me this movie. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, is there anything else specifically about this movie before we get into our, our good old questions? We got to do our good old questions, right? Sure. Okay. Uh, no, I think uh, I think that's it, though. Really, again, yeah, it's, it's there. It's a movie. Yep. So, snack. Um, I'm tempted to I got to say burrito because the dude ate the burrito <laughs> next to me, and I just... Really wanted a burrito for the rest of the two hours I was sitting in that goddamn theater. Um, you know, we don't have any eggs with jalapenos, right? We don't get any no. of those scenes, which is quite unfortunate. But maybe that the movie just wants us to assume that that is just the dish that needs to be eaten. Um, 
Doesn't wait, yeah. Even at the beginning, Miguel, when we see him with his family, like when before he gets with his cousin, he just like gets handed a lunch bag or something. He doesn't even eat food that we get to see. I think. Yeah, I think so. We could say French fries. Yeah, well, one one French fry. One French fry. One one French from, fry from the, for the big court. bad from the big bad cartel man. Only take one French fry. That's fucking ridiculous. I think I take more issue with that than anything else yeah. that you brought up, Zach. <laughs> That's the most egregious thing in this film: is the fact he took one French fry. Yeah, that this this motherfucker is like thinking he's king of the cartel because he's got American passport. He can go between the border really easily. He's got all fucking tatted up. He shot Benicio del Toro, and then he only steals one French fry. Get out of here, like. I no no I I don't buy it. <laughs> oh man! So right. what do you got? What are snacks you got? got snack. snack. All right. Um, remember how remember how they used to have those like uh, oh god I forget what they were called but like you could like it was like a, not a lollipop but like came with like the, the the powdered like crystallized sugar you could like dip like it was like oh, I forget what it was like, a oh, baby fun, bottle fun fun dip baby bottle was another one um, yeah. Like it was just that idea where you had a powder and something else was more moist and they interacted in some way. Yeah, and like, and like the powder clung to like the, the sucker and so you could yeah, yeah. get, get a sugar high on top of a sugar high. Oh, that's um, a So this is my idea. Um, you get like uh, a lollipop that's okay. like red and you have like a powdered sh- or like the crystallized sugar that's like sand colored. So it's like Benicio <laughs> del Toro's like blood <laughs> in the sand and you sit there and you eat it. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, I like that. Um... What would you say? Remove the lollipop. Add blood sausage. No. Then you actually have some blood with some brown sugar. Would probably be the closest sugar that looks like sand. I don't know. Oh, have you ever had blood sausage, Zach? I guess that's what I should ask before I talk no. more about blood sausage. Blood sausage is disgusting in the way it's made, but actually doesn't taste too bad. It's just like head cheese. You know, head cheese is one of the most disgusting things humans will ever produce, but it doesn't taste bad. It tastes like ham. Um, blood, sh- blood sausage and brown sugar might not be bad, Zach. I might, I might, I don't know where I can get blood, uh, <laughs> I almost said blood sugar. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know where completely I, different. Yeah, I don't know where I can get blood sausage or blood sugar, um, but I, I'd be tempted to try that, man. I haven't made blood sausage in all, in years. I'm gonna put I'm putting that on my list, Zach. You gave me a good idea. You gave me culinary inspiration. Add it to the cinema the Planet Cinematis menu. Yes. Oh God, that won't sell at all. <laughs> that's that's a deep cut, folks. You're not gonna you're not gonna know what that means for another two months or another <laughs> month at least. Oh man. Okay, I like that. That was a good snack, Zach. I dig that one. Any others that popped into your head? Uh, what no, about the, um, the, uh, the what do you call it? A garbage bag full of popcorn? Is that an acceptable snack? For this no, movie? it's not. It's, it's the opposite of an acceptable snack. That's, that's, a, that's a forbidden snack for yes. this and the, uh, <laughs> and the dehumidifier sized container of soda. Yes. Okay, I, I guess with that, I'm tempted to say that the burrito is also forbidden. Yeah, I want, the burrito is forbidden because of the aroma. Me. Yeah, it just upset me during the movie. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, what, what's next? Uh, uh, I guess we have to talk about late night since we both saw this yeah. midday. <laughs> you saw us in the middle of the yeah, an afternoon matinee. Yeah, yeah, that's the best time to judge if a movie should be late night or not. Um, oh, I don't remember what I said for the first one. Do you remember what I said? I think I might have said no. I think I think you didn't like it because it put you on edge too much. 
Yeah, yeah, that might have been the case because it kept me guessing, it kept me disoriented, and that's not something you should watch before you're trying to go to bed, something like that. Okay, this one I'm, I would just say no because, yeah, you know, maybe you got some things to laugh at, maybe you got some action, but other than that, it's just it's it's nothing more. You know, it's it's like like Zach said, it's a movie, it's there. Um, so cinemodities though, uh, I'm I'm tempted to say yes to cinemodities just just because of the gasp I got during. <laughs> During the viewing, that just blew my mind. Uh, you know, just the the terrorist explosions going on at the beginning that people didn't give a fuck about. But oh man, that little girl punching on a little girl. <laughs> Damn that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. That that's part more of the atmosphere of the movie. I don't know if that uh, should you know propel it into cinemodity status. What do you think? Uh, I agree. No late night movie. Uh, cinemati level, I don't know. Again, it, it, it's a bad sequel. So I don't, again, bad sequels are a dime a dozen. Yeah. I don't think there's anything in this that's, I think I said earlier that it might be a cinemati. Uh, I'll have to rewatch this. Like I said, I've only seen it the once. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll click for me. I don't know. Like I said, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. We'll do a follow up when this shows up on DVD or Blu ray sometime in like October. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I, I think the only other thing we have to talk about is how do we end this episode? And oh, I, I is Johan Johansson dead? Oh, yeah, yeah. Johan Johansson's dead. I didn't know that. I was in the theater and I saw his name and I went, what? The guy that Rob ranted about for like six hours and I just tuned out after the first like three words? <laughs> I didn't know he was dead. Yeah, he's he's dead, yep. <laughs> when did he die? Uh, pretty recently. I, I, I think it was... If I, uh, without looking it up, if I remember correctly, it was, um, it was something unfortunate, like an accident or a heart attack or something like that. Like he, he definitely went before his time. Um, not too long ago, a year, I think. I was completely blown away by that. I'm like, what? Yeah, he, he did. He, oh, wow. No, it was this year. Oh, oh, it was early this year. Okay. So yeah, another film is dedicated to him. Yes. Yes. Ah, overdose of cocaine while he was on prescription medication. Shocking. You know what that's a lesson for, Zach? Lesson for you, lesson for our, all of our audience? Don't take prescription medication. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, so Hilda, Hilda Guanadotir, she was the one who did the music for this, this film. And they had worked together previously before his death. So, it, it you know, and they're both Icelandic. So they have very similar composing styles. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he did. I say you, he did. The Colonel. <laughs> the Colonel. I say you, he did. Wait, 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 wait a second. You're telling me I flew all the way to Kentucky to get some of your fried chicken, and and the Colonel isn't even working today? He we he did. What? I say he did. Is Mr. Sanders in? What wrong with you? I say you, he did. The Colonel! Well, now, Zach, can we talk about how to end this episode? Oh, dear. I think we should play the Sicario theme backwards. Does, does Sicario have a theme? Apparently, it did, because it played over the credits. Oh, okay. Okay, I get. yeah, I guess if, if you want to call whatever plays over the credits the theme. Um, I, I was actually going to pitch whatever fucking noise you made before backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it's still less zombie Darth Vader. Yeah, whatever the hell that noise was, I want that you, backwards. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I did it justice either because it was much more inorganic. You you might not have done it justice, Zach, but but you you've 
you've done this recording justice with that noise. That's it's a creepy noise. I, I think you you're just gonna have to wait till you edit this episode to hear what it sounds like. It is it is pretty great. <laughs> So I think I think right. that's where where I'm leaning. All right. Well, we'll we'll it'll be a surprise, folks. Rob's gonna decide what he wants to do with anything. So, <laughs> Rob's choice. Beware all.